but it's Hobie with the good advice reminding him to use yep. the palms as he seated so early. Just the palms. And uh, yep. Miles does his venom trick and explodes the cage, promptly running and launching us into one of the most incredibly choreographed chase sequences. Chase, see, chase. Oh, it's so good. It is fantastic. They're like, okay, great. We have all these spider people. Let's let's, let's see what we can, we do. can do with this. And again, I'd yeah. like to remind everyone that this podcast is a work of summary and I will not be name dropping every single spider person that appears in the sequence. Nope. Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I'm joined today by TTRPG player, artist, streamer, and a Spider-Man super fan, uh, Wally. Wally, welcome to the show. Hey guys, how's it going? Let's do this one, one more, more time. <laughs> I really debated changing the intro for this movie specifically just because it kind of does have like five different intros built into it, but I'll, I'll keep it yeah. keep it classic. Uh, ask you the question I ask at the top of every episode. Why did we watch Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse? Well, we did Into the Spider-Verse, mm. and I thought the only time I'd be coming back is if we did Across the Spider-Verse. <laughs> and then now there's going to be Beyond the Spider-Verse. So, I mean, you guys can accept me at least one more time after this. So, <laughs> we'll be saying yeah. a lot of at least one more times across this episode. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah, but th- this is a, there's a lot going on in this movie. Uh, I'm going to just disclaimer at the top of the show, there is physically no way for me to do an accurate summary that includes every single cameo, Easter egg, or detail yep. in this show. So just assume that if you were to watch the movie, there would be so many more things you'd be pointing at the screen and recognizing. But uh, with that disclaimer out of the way, we'll jump on and, and open on our properly glitchy titles as a drum solo kicks up. And we are told by Gwen Stacy... Uh, that we're going to do things a little bit differently this time. She walks us through the story of Miles Morales, bitten by a radioactive spider, thought to be the one and only Spider-Man, but actually not alone. And we flash through scenes from Into the Spider-Verse, the death of Uncle Aaron, the shutdown of the Collider, and all all the while, Gwen is uh, hitting some drums and playing a very intense emotional solo. She expresses that she thought she knew the rest of the story and that she didn't want to hurt Miles, but she ended up doing so, and her solo uh, builds and builds and builds as she gets more emotional, eventually interrupted by her bandmates. And we get our first uh, title of where we are, Chelsea, New York, in Earth-65. We're in Spider-Gwen's world. <laughs> this I, this is one of those scenes where um, you sit down for the movie, you're so excited by it, mm-hmm. and you're like, this better not disappoint, this better not disappoint. And you go through the opening season, which is like, no, I, this is not going yes. to disappoint. This is absolutely fantastic. It, it tells you exactly, it sets you up for the entire movie. Um, and I remember being in theaters, and I went to go see this mm-hmm. with my older sister, not a huge fighter fan, fan <laughs> at all, had not seen the first movie, but we got through the opening sequence. She's like, this is a good movie, right? This is this feels like it's going to be a good movie. I'm like, yeah, this is a good movie. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, 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 fantastic way to start the movie. It's great. And it, it puts you right into um, one of the things that they do really cool in this movie is it is animated. And uh, uh, the, Into the Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. of course, got a lot of notoriety for, notoriety for being particularly beautifully animated and creatively constructed to look like a comic book. This film really plays with different artistic styles, depending on which Spider-Man or woman's universe yeah. you're in. Gwen Stacy's universe is very kind of like watercolory inspired. Oh my God, I'm blanking on the name of the person whose run it's supposed to look like, but there's a specific run of uh, Spider-Gwen that had this sort of art style on some of the covers. And so it's sort of playing off of that. 
And uh, you really see it get more abstract and less uh, defined lines and more watercolory as she gets more emotional. And this scene sets you up for that to be the case throughout all of the scenes in her world. And it just pushes you right back into, wow, this animation is beautiful. Yeah, um, I wouldn't know the name of the run off the top of my head. But yeah, the the, the blue and pink mm -hmm. uh, color palette that is saturating everything that she's in. Um, is absolutely phenomenal, and the, the weird abstract. There's a lot less detail in the back, in the background, mm -hmm. and in the settings, um, and it puts a lot more focus on the characters. And we get to see her outside of. Um, she wears a lot of outfits in this, <laughs> this opening scene, um, which is fantastic. It reminds you that she was a regular person mm -hmm. before all this other junk started. Um, but yeah. Yeah, this movie is really for the fashion girlies. There is a lot of outfit changes amongst all the characters. You get to see a lot of people wearing a lot of different little little fits. And I think that that's fantastic. That's a great change for me. <laughs> well, if you know me, like if you guys have seen the artwork that I've done for Rolling With Difficulty, mm -hmm. I'm always constantly changing up the outfits. And for <laughs> me, it makes the characters feel like they're not just caricatures, but actual people. Exactly. Um, and like, this is one of the things that they do. Fantastic. Yeah, but uh, Gwen comes to a stop in her solo as her bandmates are worried that she's uh, bottling too many things up and letting it out through music. They're like, express your feelings. They're looking at her and looking at the audience and saying, tell us how you're feeling. And Gwen pushes them away, eventually storming off, um, not willing to open herself up just yet. Gwen's narration continues as she walks uh, through her daily life. She explains that she always wanted to be in a band, but she never found the right one. Uh, and before she knew Miles, her only friend was Peter Parker, and we flash back to them hanging out at uh, either Aunt May's or, or her parents' apartment, hanging out, yeah. um, going through his photos for the <laughs> Daily Bugle of Spider-Gwen. Uh, we see Peter being bullied in school, being protected by Gwen, her standing up for him, and eventually he takes a big old gulp of some green goo, which as a big Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, I know that nothing good can come of that. <laughs> <laughs> No, never. And he turns into something spooky. Um, Gwen goes to a school dance, and as she's looking for Peter in the crowd, the dance is crashed by a big old lizard monster, which, of course, Spider-Gwen steps in to fight and ends up crushing under some rubble. And as the big lizard is killed, uh, he turns back into Peter right in front of Gwen, uh, and before dying in her arms, reveals that he knew that she was Gwen all along and tells her that everything is going to be okay. As she mourns, the cops bust in, notably her father, who uh, will become yeah. Captain Stacy of the police, and sees the spider person over the dead Peter and immediately assumes that Spider Woman is to blame for Peter Parker's death. Yeah. Uh, there's always this, uh, that, that uh, what do you call it? Like, that misplaced... Mm -hmm. um, uh, those misplaced accusations on Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. um, and normally uh, for a lot of the other Spider-Men, it's, it's, it's not someone very close to them. But in this movie, there's a couple of the Spider-Men that have closer ties to the person that hates them the most. Um, and it, it makes, for me, like it narrows the focus a lot mm -hmm. more. Um, and it, it gets rid of all the extraneous details that comes from like your, your original understanding of Peter Parker and the Daily Bugle and how big New York City is. Um, but uh, with the other spider people, they, it's, it's insane how concise these movies are and the kind of spider people that they pick. Um, and also the, uh, and all this is happening within like the first 10, 15 minutes. I was clocking it as I was taking notes. This is like yeah. maybe six, seven minutes of the movie tops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so they're, they're really just trying to get through this. You know, they're just trying to do this one more time. You guys already know this. Let's get to the meat and potatoes. Um, but in the meantime, it's, it's a treat. It's a fun little appetizer going into the, uh, this first act. Absolutely. And I, I kind of want to talk about this, about this at the end because I somewhat notoriously don't like two-part movies, but this is one of the rare exceptions to that rule for me. And I think that it, the easiest way to explain that will be after we have seen the whole story in its entirety. But this part here mm. does a lot of very important setup for the reason why I think this is a successful part one, part two situation uh, that we'll talk about at the okay. end. So this is, the scene is doing a lot of important things and also, you know, it's very easy to get hype when you see a spider person doing cool spider things and traveling through time and a lot of very smooth transitions. There's some great, like mm -hmm. in the reflection, she's wearing her costume. And then we go to that scene and she's actually riding the subway the whole time. And it's just very artfully put together, which again, if I was trying to summarize this, I am trying to summarize this and there's no way for me to physically say every cool art moment that happens in this movie in a summary. <laughs> Unfortunately, Unfortunately. Folks, this is a podcast and you you cannot see these scenes. And I, if you have seen this movie already, definitely watch it again. Mm -hmm. And if you've watched it at least two times, watch it a third time. So, because this is what I saw it in theaters the day of. Since then, I've seen it two other times. And then for the pod, I saw it a fourth. So right. this was my second yeah. time watching it. I, first time I saw it was also in theaters and the second time for the yeah. podcast. Uh, and it was definitely worth going back to. But We'll get back on into it. Uh, Gwen explains that she never made another friend after the death of Peter, save for one, Miles, who was unfortunately in a completely different universe. The a news report is explaining the death of Peter Parker as Captain Stacy, Gwen's father, begins his uh, passionate pursuit of Spider-Woman, who he blames for Peter's death. Uh, and as Gwen is living with this and constantly knows that her father blames her, whether he knows it or not, for the death of her best friend, uh, she continues to do her Spider-Woman thing. She sneaks back in to her apartment where her dad is uh, asking her about how band practice went and tells her that they caught a break in the Spider-Woman case. Her dad is super certain that Spider-Woman killed Peter, but Gwen tries to sort of like say, well, you don't really know. And they end up arguing back and forth a bit. Trouble, trouble. It's brewing. Spoiler. <laughs> she's the Spider-Woman. Spoiler indeed. <laughs> Just letting you know. Uh, her dad manages to sort of slow the role of the argument and uh, kind of, jokingly in a very dad manner is like are you too punk rock to give your old man a hug and she rushes over and hugs him uh there's still a lot of care in this relationship clearly it's just going to be a very complicated one for both of them just then the dispatch radios that there is a vulture attacking a museum the guggenheim and captain stacy rushes on off as they suspect this could be a, a good situation to possibly catch sight of that darn spider woman yeah not stop the vulture. no vulture, not right? not stop the vulture attacking the guggenheim museum <laughs> absolutely not that yeah why would we do that? Uh, as he rushes off, so does Spider-Gwen. They're both off. Uh, I love her drum full of secrets that she has. She opens the front of yeah. her, uh, whatever the one you kick is. And <laughs> I don't know drums. Bass drum, yeah. The yeah. bass drum, yeah. and uh, it's full of little secret bits and bobs, including a photo of hers and Miles. Uh, as her theme, which I think that the soundtrack of Into the Spider-Verse is probably my favorite of the two movies in terms of soundtrack, but the score <laughs> of Across the Spider-Verse kicks its ass. It's so good. Yes. <laughs> All of the different yeah. spider themes are bops in their own right, and Spider-Gwen's is one of my favorites, uh, hands yeah. down. I get chills every time that, that run comes yeah. in. Um, it, it sounds like the way that she moves, and that is a very skillful thing to have captured in an audio format. I say on a podcast, which is an audio format. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe I'm a bit biased, but it's, I thought it was a notably uh, well-done element of the film. But she starts swinging her way through uh, Manhattan to the Guggenheim, surrounded by a police barricade and Captain Stacy. Uh, we... <laughs> 
I love the vulture in this so much. From the like dust of the museum. I don't know you- <laughs> what they decided, but somehow they're like, okay, guys, we're going to be doing the the vulture as one of the Spider-Man uh, villains. They did it in um, no wait, uh, the first mm, Spider Tom Holland Spider-Man movie, and uh, they're like, oh, let's do it again. And both times if they it killed rocked. it. Maybe the vulture is Yo. just the best villain for screen, and we've just been sleeping on him this whole time. I don't know. Um, hey, but with an Arriva Dutchie Bagazi. <laughs> <laughs> Please. He went full Italian it too. They, 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 yeah. Um, um, he's got the. Uh, he's 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 colored. Um, well, it's kind of the first big hint that he's you know mm-hmm. not from this um, uh, universe. Uh, but he's he's got the Da Vinci uh, sketchings. Uh, he's he's in the what's the sepia? That's the word I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, he looks like he's um, right off the page of like a Da Vinci's notebook. Yeah. Um. But yes, he, he's terrorizing the museum. Uh, outside the barricade, Captain Stacy asks his deputy what the vulture wants. And she sort of like very mockingly replies to him like, I don't know, do you speak Italian? And uh, he says that he's an Irish cop and she quips maybe he loves pasta or something, which is just a good example of the level of uh, comedic dialogue in this movie that again, in a summary, there is no way for me to capture every single example of. So I'm just going to say this one now. And if there's one we really want to talk about, we can go to it. But dear God, this movie is very well written. <laughs> You, this is a Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. It's going to be quippy. Like yeah, normally, people get tired of Marvel for the, the quippiness and 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 the the weird little breaks that they do to relieve the tension. Mm-hmm. But that's just classic Spider-Man. Yeah. That's how Spider-Man I do think speaks. that the quips are like placed very well too to sort of avoid that common complaint of well, the yeah. quip has broken up the tension because even if they are making a joke in a scene, uh, it's usually the character trying to lighten the mood and not the audience breaking from the tension. Like it never really cracks yeah. the tension of a scene. And often when things are getting serious, characters will stop quipping it's that same way. Um, so like you mm-hmm. said, it's very important that a Spider-Man quip, but I think this movie does a really good balancing act of like, okay, we can be funny, but the humor has to be diegetic to the movie itself. And we can't actually take oh, away sure. from a scene for because sure. of it. Uh, Captain Stacy tells his folks to watch out for Spider-Woman and then they all immediately get webbed up and Gwen in her uh, super secret Spider-Woman lowered voice takes a moment to quip after him as she backflips into the museum. Uh, Inside the broken up Guggenheim, Gwen faces the vulture who, as we mentioned, looks like uh, straight off the page and uh, Gwen immediately clocks what we the audience also do that that is not her vulture. Just then the vulture glitches and Gwen begins quipping her way through explaining what probably happened to the vulture, that he fell through a portal into her world, which of course is exactly what happened. And she uh, tries Mm -hmm. to take him down running throughout the museum. There was a a little quip where the vulture took a moment to insult modern art. Ha ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is that, uh, it's, who's the guy who does the, um, It's the guy who was a real ass about like Vanta Black and everything. (laughs) Yeah. Like I think I would say Anish Kapoor, but I might be wrong on that one. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'll look it up again. I was going to look it up going into this today and have like a whole bunch of weird references ready to go on a sheet. Didn't do that because I took a nap instead. That's fine. Uh, but going into this fight, we meet the next spider person who does not quit uh, most of the movie. Uh because he's got his little sister to do that for him. Yeah, we get another I'm getting ahead of myself. banging theme. Uh, Gwen is like on the ropes with the vulture a little bit. It looks like he's about to slash her when some red spider webs that are a little glowy spring on out and grab his claws and emerging from a portal with a do-do-do-do-do or whatever is uh, another spider person. This one looking much scarier. <laughs> Big scary, yeah. 
Uh, Gwen goes after the vulture and the new spider who has claws and a hologram cape for this one scene only. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> this is the only time it shows up. It was in a lot of the concept art, which makes me think that it, it, it yeah. would have made it to more of the movie. It was probably not in massive pain to animate that cape and the cape physics every time he showed up specifically. But also, like, superheroes and capes, it's, it's a little bit overdone. <laughs> you know? So, no capes. Uh, they begin the guessing game of who this spider could be with the classic spider person panache of lots of quips and jokes. And Gwen eventually gets to, like, Dark Garfield and Nacho Libre before he explains to her <laughs> mock surprise that he's from another dimension. And we do one of those classic Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse intros with the comic book flipping and someone saying, now let's do this again. Uh, as Miguel O'Hara explains who he is, he is... Uh, the leader of an elite strike force dedicated to the security of the multiverse and also a spider person. Uh, and that's about as far as he gets before Gwen interrupts to ask yeah. if he can freely travel dimensions with his watch because what she's most interested in is the ability to travel mm-hmm. to other parts of the multiverse. He tries to do the whole like, don't worry, I will handle this situation before yeah. getting promptly decked by the vulture and uh, Gwen swings into action to help him. The two fight Vulture together as they do kind of running. The Guggenheim is a big circular museum. So the, it's a perfect arena to have set a flight based running around fight in because really just just a constant spiral around the walls throughout this whole scene. It's a really good set piece to set um, up uh, a lot of the interesting that's, things that are happening in the next couple of scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, they OK, right. Miguel comes in and then there's bit of a fight fight. um there's a couple the the sequence with um him fighting the vulture showcases how um i guess a lot more brutal Mm -hmm. his fighting style is um he's extremely aggressive uh and the thing that you clock before all that happens is that he doesn't quite have a spidey sense um which is which is a fun little detail um that will come into play later in the movie, mm-hmm. but i'm getting ahead of myself once again <laughs> yeah, but the two fight 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 uh the cops make their way in including captain stacy to the floor of the guggenheim uh meanwhile gwen and miguel are arguing back and forth on the back of the vulture as they sort of like use their spider webs to ratatouille him around and fly around the different parts of the museum um miguel is mad that he had to clean up the mess left by kingpin's collider in the previous film leaving holes that have randomly been kind of shunting villains into the wrong dimension just like this vulture and uh that he's been going around trying to put them all back where they came from or so help me gwen takes an opportunity to web her dad's hands to the wall as he rushes in to kind of keep him at bay uh, Miguel does some cool spidering, Gwen does some spidering, and the vulture remains flying after all of it. So Miguel asks his virtual assistant, Lila, uh, to call for help. And she's, like you mentioned, she's kind of his quips. She's a little coy about it. Yeah. She like does a little joke for him uh, before she says that I already did. And busting through another portal is set back up. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, like, again, like this is like uh, into... Across the spider, so we're going to see a lot of spider people, mm-hmm. and they waste no time introducing more and more. Of yeah. them. like we're we're barely twenty minutes into the movie, and we've got three now. You know, so yeah. uh, and Jessica Parker is such an interesting spider. Um, just person Drew in, in this movie. At, the, at the this movie. point, she's just Drew. Oh right, just Drew. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, sorry. Continue. Yeah. Um. Her her character is very clearly. Oh no, we haven't gotten to that <laughs> reveal. I guess I. I keep getting ahead of myself. Continue. Just drew busting on a motorcycle, which at this point, I, I went in the theater. I remember being like, hell yes. Busting on a motorcycle, pregnant. This woman is yes. kicking ass. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Gwen is also equally immediately excited by the appearance of another spider woman and uh, clocks that she's doing this all pregnant is a badass and asked to be adopted. All of which was the appropriate sequence of responses to seeing just drew on a motorcycle in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. The two gals get back into the fight and begin punching the bird as Jess suggests to Miguel that they recruit Gwen, uh, but he's resistant due to mysterious reasons. Um, mm-hmm. The vulture blows up the glass ceiling of the Guggenheim and goes to escape. Uh, and as Gwen and Jess are saving the civilians from the rubble, Miguel stays on the vulture, determined not to let him escape and disrupt cannon. And this is where we see, as you mentioned, Miguel's more brutal nature. As they fly above the city, Miguel reveals uh, fangs and really like goes into the vulture. And it's, he looks like he's about to like vampire bite him before he's stopped by the light from a nearby helicopter, which distracts him just long enough for the vulture to fire on it. And it begins to crash into the museum, forcing him to go to uh, help save it. Gwen gets into the zone and uses her webs to create a net to save both the pilots and the helicopter and the civilians underneath the falling pilots and helicopter uh, and eventually syncs up with the other spider people to kind of all work together to help in this situation. They all catch and hold the webs that hold the copter aloft because it wouldn't be a Spider-Man situation if you did not use the Mm -hmm. webs to hold a heavy object to keep it from falling. (laughs) It's it's classic Mm Spider-Man saving the, the day sequence. Yep. Another great way to, like, it's a Spider-Man movie. What, what, what else were you expecting? Also, um, no, never mind. I was going to say something else. <laughs> um. uh, they've succeeded. Miguel grabs the vulture. And uh, as Gwen kind of struggles with the exhaustion of having just pulled off such a feat, uh, she's snuck up on by Captain Stacy, who holds her at gunpoint. And as she kind of tries to argue that she's unarmed and she didn't do anything, he fires a warning shot, terrifying her and shutting her up. Uh, Gwen then slowly reveals who she is by removing her mask, which makes her dad lower his gun and sort of reel. And she tries to say that, of course, she didn't murder Peter and that she's wanted to tell him she's sorry for lying to him. Uh, but he just asks how long she's been lying. Um, Gwen very emotionally is like, I just need you to be my dad right now and listen to me and that I'm trying to help people. But after a beat as she's talking, he begins to read her her Miranda rights. Uh, and though devastated by this by him choosing to be captain stacy and not gwen stacy's dad in this moment Oof, uh, she's just yeah. destroyed um and again the, the background of the scene gets about the most abstract that we see in the entire film like this yeah. is the biggest moment of the world just becoming nothing around her the moment is only broken by miguel and jess intervening tying up captain stacy and inviting gwen to come with them through the portal which tearfully gwen agrees to do as she doesn't know how to fix the mess she's in in her own world I was shocked uh, the first time I saw the movie that this scene happened a lot earlier than it did. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. It makes total sense Absolutely. compared to all the other shit that's going to be happening in the next <laughs> hour and a half. Um, but uh, yeah, I, the, the tension between two worlds that Spider-Man is constantly uh, going up against uh, is just made apparent right then and there. He fires a warning shot, of, uh, like a actual warning mm-hmm. shot, and then he takes a, an emotional one at her. Um, by picking to be uh, a cop, um, and that that floors you. Yeah. Um, at the end of this whole opening thing, it's just like, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. She's gonna be, she's gonna be. This is gonna be in her head for the entirety of the movie until she gets back home. If she gets back, home. absolutely. Um, um, and it's only after this very dramatic moment, this very serious thing, uh, thing to bring an end to kind of the quippy, high energy opener that we get the titles of the movie Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Yes. Uh, and we go to Miles' Earth in Brooklyn, 
uh, where at his high school, Miles's parents are in a meeting with a guidance counselor, counselor, though notably, Miles is not in this meeting with them. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Ah, uh, late. I, God, <laughs> this kid reminds me so much of myself in uh, like middle school, high school, just being late to everything, uh, always having my head in a completely different place than where it's supposed to be. <laughs> Um, just watching the first movie, I'm just like, this movie was made for me. And then going into the second movie after this opening sequence, I'm just like, okay, this movie's uh, expanding more of what it's like to be um, Spider-Man. And uh, finally getting to the Miles Morales spot made, made me realize, okay, 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 we're, we're in for something a little different. This is definitely going to be an interesting sequel. Um, and I'm here for it. Absolutely. So. It felt like the first movie was very much Miles learning how to be a Spider-Man. And in this one, it is yeah. very much like Miles learning how to be Miles Morales, who just happens to also be mm-hmm. a Spider-Man. Elsewhere, the spot in a hat and jacket walks into a bodega and uh, makes for the ATM. Uh, he tries to use his spots to reach inside and grab the cash with limited success as the owner notices him and immediately goes after him with a baseball bat. They deal with this confrontation, and as they're sort of going back and forth throughout the bodega, the spot is a wily, if not adept at this point. A mysterious hand makes a beef patty and eventually confronts the spot, who has the best possible line read of Spider-Man that I have ever heard. (laughs) Spider-Man! I love... There are two points in this film where I'm like, that is the best possible line read of that line, and this is one of them. (laughs) The... It's so interesting how his character starts mm-hmm. and develops throughout the movie. The goofiness of, oh, yeah, no, a lot of the early, like, Spider-Man and, and comic book villains were, were really goofy in how they were designed and, and how they operate if you were to put them in, like, in a real world, world setting. And this movie very much embraces yeah. that. Um, and with this opening sequence, with the spot, he s- steals an ATM, and he's still learn- trying to learn how his spots work. Um and he slowly gets to that yeah. part, which is great. I just like the way he says Spider-Man when he yells at the timeline. Jason Schwartzman has scratched my brain in the exact same way the teens saying ooze and mutant mayhem scratched my brain. I'm just like, <laughs> I can listen to that on loop all day. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Spot continues to struggle his way through the robbery, losing his various disguise pieces in the process, and then eventually doing as mm-hmm. dramatic a reveal as he possibly could uh, of himself as the Spot to Spider-Man, Miles Morales, uh, trying to get serious as Miles laughs at the uh, spots on him and the various things that are falling through them. The music gets a little sinister as the spot reveals he's actually from Miles's past, and he goes to do his backstory when Miles is interrupted by a text from his dad and decides that he's got to wrap this thing up real quick. So Miles goes to fight. And this is about like the most slapstick sequence the movie will get. If you remember Bagel from the first one, that's all compressed into this (laughs) encounter. (laughs) And it makes total sense given who uh, the spot is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's that continuity is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Miles does this one more time and explains the p- first movie again for us, bitten by a radioactive spider. For the last year and four months, he's been Brooklyn's one and only Spider Man. He fights crime, designs a new suit, guest host Jeopardy, endorsed Baby Power, apologized for endorsing Baby Power, grew a mustache, lost a mustache, developed his Venom shock power, which is the only important thing in the sequence, uh, and is still lying to his parents about being Spider-Man. About this one. Yeah. <laughs> we see... Plenty of yeah, that. We see, is like, in his mind, a version of him revealing his Spider-Man-ness to his parents, where they love and accept him immediately, but he decides to save that for some other universe. We see the very uh, common in this type of superhero media concern from especially younger teens, like, Will I be accepted by my family if I tell them this secret that I'm yeah. keeping from them? An anxiety that Gwen had, and obviously we just saw, did not go over well. 
Miles wishes that he wasn't the only Spider-Man and totally does not try to dwell on it, but his notebook of uh, Gwen Stacy drawings does somewhat betray him in that regard. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one of the things that I loved about the first uh, Spider-Man was that uh, they kept their relationship mm-hmm. completely platonic, but it, they push more on the teenage angst, the, the going through puberty, and they, they hint at this uh, romance. But the important thing is that it doesn't just distract from a majority of the movie it's definitely a some uh, like a subconscious motivation um but the biggest thing at least between the two of them is that they are people who have something in mm-hmm. common they have a shared experience um and they can rely on each other for support to do that the rom- romance definitely takes a backseat to all of yeah them. it uh, comes across as like, like a teenage how pining that. but like the the core yeah. of their relationship is that friendship and that connection from having the shared identity um he also says he misses his uncle, Aaron, who was the Prowler and, of course, passed away in the previous film. Uh, and we go back to the fight where Miles is more or less ignoring the spot, uh, much to his annoyance as Miles texts his dad to kind of explain why he's not at the meeting and says that he's like on his way. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do see a, a couple cuts back to the meeting where Miles' dad and mom are trying to like play off how late Miles is. And again, fantastic line read on the youth from uh, <laughs> yeah oh man um i'm jealous of these voice actors i don't know how they it, do it incredible. like i usually they bring so much life it's just dialogue there's a surprising amount of like actors who are cast that are not like traditional voice actors in this film and there's been a lot of the mm-hmm. garfield trailer came out recently with his like i don't know what the seventh uh, chris don't. pratt thing at this point so yeah. there's been a lot of discourse lately about like we should stop casting actors in voice acting roles mm-hmm. and to a point i do agree but i do think this movie is a great case study for if you get someone who brings something to the role then it is worth casting yes them. i think that this is a great study in don't do stunt casting still cast thoughtfully but don't yeah. fear the traditional actor if they can bring something to this role which a lot I would say all of this cast absolutely does. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, and definitely Chris Pratt is definitely uh, not that kind <laughs> of a voice actor. Like, no. he's just don't do that. Stop doing that, please. <laughs> um, I digress. Yeah, we're not here to talk about Garfield or Chris Pratt. We're here to talk no. about Miles Morales, who's uh, continuing his fight and text combo as he and the spot go through a series of misadventures all throughout Brooklyn, eventually ending with Miles trying to. Uh, tie the spot up, uh, chiding him not to escape as he webs him to the top of a building. Miles Spider-Man's his way back into his dorm room, asking his roommate to call the police about the spot on the roof of the other building, and as he changes into his uniform, his roomie is resistant to the idea as uh, he doesn't want to become his guy in the chair. So. <laughs> they're just leaning, they're, they're pushing back on all of it. Yeah. They, they, they know every single Spider-Man trope, and they're like, you know what, we're, we're just going to chill mm-hmm. out, we're just going to chill out. This is Miles a different is kind of do movie. His own thing. Yeah, so good. Miles rushes to his appointment using his spider powers to traverse the terrain of his high school much more carefully and arrives just as the counselor is explaining to his parents that she knows nothing about Miles and has de- he has to decide if he's going to commit to his future. Mm. His parents chide him for being late and the counselor goes on that his grades are pretty good, save for a B in Spanish, which his Spanish-speaking mother is, <laughs> to yeah. say the least, annoyed by. <laughs> yeah, no, it tracks. Um. And Miles tries to explain this as just having missed a few classes, which is absolutely not going to fly. The counselor's like, well, we can still salvage this. We just need to tell Miles a story. Um, you know, lead, all of this is going on and on. He tells like a, the immigrant story raised in Brooklyn. And uh, all of this leads up to him wanting to attend the top physics program in the nation at 
Princeton. And his mom is not thrilled with the idea of sending him to New Jersey, which, fair. <laughs> hey, hey, as a fellow New Yorker, I completely understand that sentiment. That is a <laughs> legitimate concern. Uh, and uh, she's right. She's Maybe New Jersey is not the spot for most New Yorkers. It, I'm getting physically angry. Like my, my body wants to fight all of New Jersey right now. Um, this uh, also frustrates Miles, but for different reasons, as he does want to go to Princeton uh, because he would like to study how to travel to other dimensions. That's his big uh, goal. I wonder if that has anything to do with all of his friends being in other dimensions and him not being the one and only Spider-Man if you can go to other Spider-Mans. Yeah. Miles does a big convincing speech about how he's trying to do something special and that he's going to need to leave Brooklyn to learn what he wants to learn. And before anyone can talk, the counselor excitedly declares that that's his story and tells him to stick to the script. At just that moment, his spider senses start tingling and he sees the spot escape from the other rooftop. So Miles has to rush on out. His mom reminding him to order the cake for tonight. Uh, but just then his dad gets a call on the radio and also has to go. And so both father and son are rushing off to the scene of the crime, mm -hmm. leaving uh, his mom Rio behind as she is told by the counselor that, uh, you know, I can tell your son is lying to you too. Uh, and she seems to kind of be thoughtful and heeding this for a moment. As he uh, heads to his squad car, Jefferson is spots the spot and Spider-Man fall onto it. And now the spot and Miles are fighting their way through the streets as Jefferson, uh, Miles' dad, is running on foot next to them, kind of quipping along the way and complaining about how many lemon bars he'll have to bake to make up for the damage they're causing to his son's high school. The spot is similarly griping with Spider-Man about how rude he was to leave in the middle of their fight. And the spot takes particular offense to being referred to as barely a villain of the week. And we're getting I, something they do incredibly effectively in this movie is they use the quips to kind of set up the major conflicts. And a big thing for mm -hmm. the spot is not being taken seriously. So even as they're quipping yeah. back and forth with the barely a villain of the week quip, it's doing a lot of work to set up later on how deeply affecting that is to the spot and why it's going to lead him to do a lot of what he does later on. It's a, like it's a weird like meta narrative um tool mm -hmm. in that okay great yes cutting back the tension is can be frustrating for the audience but in this case it's also frustrating for this exactly villain. um and all of a sudden instead of now you don't it we're getting mm -hmm. to that we will we will get to him um explaining his backstory i think that's the next couple it is right yeah yeah uh, the trio eventually uh, make their way to the ruins of the Alchemex, which is where the Collider exploded in the previous film. And this particularly pisses off the spot as he explains that this is where it all started. Um, there's a great little comedic beat from Jefferson where he almost jumps into one of the spot's spots and instead takes the stairs down deeper into the ruins, yeah. which I love. The spot continues explaining that he's Spider-Man's arch nemesis because he worked at Alchemex where he had run a test that brought the spider here from another dimension, the one that escaped and would go on to bite Miles. And in a way, the spot created Spider-Man. And even more so, mm -hmm. uh, he was the guy Miles hit with a bagel when he and Peter broke in in the first movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, the spot continues that not only did he create Spider-Man, but Miles created the spot. Uh, and this is my second favorite uh, big line read of the movie. <laughs> Spider-Man, why'd you create that guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the... the uh... The slapstick comedy, the visual and um, uh, the the like dialogue uh, play really well mm -hmm. in this couple of scenes, especially like with uh, Jeffords, he him just traversing mm -hmm. a, a lot of this area. He's like he's trying to be the the heroic uh, yeah. cop, but he has to go by. But he has to physically walk downstairs. Um, and he's limited to uh, whatever the normal person that he is. Um, and Spider Man is 
uh, doing his own mm-hmm. thing, helping him out every time he, he falls and slips, um, and making sure he's fine because, you know, it's his dad. Secret, but. secret. Um, Miles is confused as to why the spot would think that he created him until the spot explains that he was in the collider room when Miles blew it up and he was fused with some stuff and ended up becoming the spot. Uh, in so he has lost everything. All of his old loved ones don't want anything to do with him. He can't keep a job and he blames Miles for making him into this crazy monster. Um, as the spot charges at Miles extremely seriously, he trips on his own spots and quite literally kicks his own butt, a point Miles is quick to quip about, uh, and the spot falls into a spot and disappears, effectively ending the fight. Uh, the great part about him explaining his backstory is another style mm-hmm. shift. You know, it's, it goes back into this black and white um, hatching and cross-hatching um, style while that entire thing happens, which leads into... which. In terms of like changing styles again, we're, we're about to have a bigger sequence where we, we go all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it gives you a good touch point for the spot uh, and looks appropriately creepy. Uh, he hasn't quite reached peak, oh, that's no, a terrifying yet. guy yet. He's still yeah. kind of slapstick. We've seen hints of it in the music that queued up over mm-hmm. his big speech and how tight the camera work got for a while, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, yeah. After the fight, uh, Jefferson chides Spider-Man for not catching the bad guy, but they emerge from the wreckage. Uh, We clearly see, and this is a point I thought was really interesting watching it the second time, how much better their relationship is, specifically Spider-Man and this police captain, than the uh, relationship between Captain Stacy and Gwen. Just having the immediate Mm -hmm. contrast of, well, these are ostensibly the same figures in this world, uh, and they clearly work together so much better um, or at the very least have some sort of mutual respect of not the fish shaking, I'll get you next time, Spider-Man, but a level of we are kind of working towards the same end goal, even if we have very different ways of going about it. Jefferson chides Spider-Man for being a bit destructive in his methods and expresses that he is a little bit frustrated, to which uh, Miles, as Spider-Man, offers to talk it out with him, which was a very you know awkward and yeah. charming in its own way. Um, Jefferson sort of... Puts on this- <laughs> He puts on the Spider-Man voice. Uh, yeah. I don't know why they, they do, do this. The like, okay, great. It's, yeah, it's just like, all right, cool. Fine. Can we get uh, for the? I mean, this is an audio podcast. Could you do your Spider? If you were Spider-Man, what's? No, <laughs> no, I'm not doing. It. I, I, I have. I already have a deep voice. I'm. If I, it just goes deeper. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, I'm Spider-Man. I don't know. Secretly, uh, but you, it's uh, for if a Spider-Man ever starts swinging around. <laughs> yeah, I have. I should. I have to clean up that sketch. I have my own version. I have my own uh, spider sona. I have not posted it anywhere yet. <laughs> I, I have to get to doing that. Um, but also, some of this is like okay. Very rarely in a movie, um, especially animated movies, mm-hmm. we get these these poignant father son uh, moments, especially between like uh, black and African American characters. So it's again another heartwarming. Um, piece of media made for me and i'm just like this is great fantastic i love yeah. this yeah and it's incredibly charming uh jefferson rambles about how no matter what he does someone thinks that he's blowing it and miles asks him about his son him and uh you know jefferson's like oh he's a good kid he just does stupid things and i don't want him to mess it up and it, it's a very like it, it is clear like fatherly love of like the concern of like you know he's growing mm-hmm. up and i don't necessarily know how to protect him anymore like i could when he was a little kid he especially hates that uh, he feels like Miles is scared to talk to him. And at the end of it all, he just doesn't want to lose his son. Um, Spider-Man offers that he has a lot to, he has to let his son spread his wings and uh, goes in for a fist bump, which isn't necessarily reciprocated. Uh, and as Spider-Man leaves, Jefferson chides him, uh, reminding him to go catch that holes guy. 
And uh, Miles posits that they won't see him again, a theory that is immediately proven wrong by the movie where we go to Spot. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Spot is inside of Spot. Don't think about that too hard. He examines the interior of himself, poking his head through different spots uh, floating around in this white void. And each time he does, he ends up in a different universe. This is an exciting revelation to him as he realizes that he can theoretically go anywhere. Uh, and some of the universes he can poke his head into include a entirely Lego one uh, and one yep. that I assume is from uh, one of the Venom movies. I haven't or the I haven't seen. I, I don't know. <laughs> I have not seen the Venom movies either. Uh, they could have picked literally any other like MCU related movie, uh, but I guess they needed to tie the the Marvel the the Venom um, universe yeah. with. One of the, the other ones the with the nebulous rights to who owns what property needs to be looped in here, yeah. so we're going to go with that one. <laughs> it's fine. Also super jealous of the, apparently the kid who animated, yes. the, the person who animated the Lego sequence was uh, like this 12 or 13 year old yeah. kid. Yeah, um, like a fan who had done like a like, fan version of, I think, something from yeah. the previous film, and then when the directors were putting together the sequence, they're like, well, let's just get him to do the Lego sequence for us. Yeah, and, and he's like, what? Are you kidding me? This is insane. <laughs> um, and since then, his, his, he's he's blown up all over, and uh, I'm happy for yeah. that. It's one of those things where like you can tell that this, both Into the Spider-Verse and Across the Spider-Verse do feel like labors of love in a lot of ways. There's clearly a lot of care for both the characters that they're working with and the uh, mediums that they're working in. And uh, it's just a great example of like, yeah, not only do we care about our work, but also this kid who has the same level of passion and a, a lot of talent. Uh, let's give him a little bit more of a platform. So I think that uh, knowing that made watching yeah. the Lego sequence even more charming. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. I, this is why I love these yeah. movies. Uh, Spot ends up back in his own universe and realizes that his holes aren't a curse. They're the answer. And as he tries to prove this to some disgruntled repairman, he realizes that he's out of holes and sets out to fix this so that he can get that darn Spider-Man. We go back to the Lego world where Peter Parker makes his escape from the Daily Bugle office to the restroom to uh, use his wristwatch, much like Miguel had, to call into said Miguel and uh, report an anomaly. And Miguel, of course, calls Peter one of their best, as this Lego Spider-Man is certainly a skilled combatant. (laughs) Of course, of course. Mm At Miles' parents, there's a rooftop party to congratulate his dad on making Captain. Uh, all of the friends and family are there to hang out and eat while his mother is walking around the party looking for Miles. And as she's searching, she's called to make a speech, a thing that she is self-admittedly bad at. Um, speech, 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 speech. The nightmare scenario for anyone who does not like public speaking. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, meanwhile, Spider-Man is rambling through a greeting for the top of his dad's cake, but it's too long and it ends <laughs> up being two cakes. <laughs> so good uh, his mom's speech meanwhile is bombing dramatically so Jefferson intervenes and begins his own speech about how he was pulled in a lot of different directions in his life and as he gives this speech about how he's come up and his hopes for the future uh, we see Miles try to make it home and have to stop to do the occasional spider thing like launching the armadillo into space or whatever it is that pops up yeah. on his route it's like, I, look I, I can't be Spider-Man right now please yeah. just, just he's just moving. trying to catch a cab he doesn't have time for this yep. whatever's going on um Jefferson goes on that uh, after he had a kid, everything changed for the better, and he toasts his brother Aaron, who there's a huge mural that uh, Miles had done to him on the wall of the building, uh, and to his wife, and of course his son, who is not there right now. Um, Nope. He continues to cheers Miles, looking right at the camera as he says that he loves him, as though speaking to us, the audience, and not just to Miles, uh, and recovers smoothly by having the DJ drop a beat. 
Miles makes it home and quick changes before hitting the roof. Spider senses warning him of the danger of his angry mom, but not long enough uh, before he quickly bumps into her and his parents and they are extremely upset that he's late. Um, He tries to use the excuse uh, that, you know, he actually has these really heartfelt messages on these cakes. So maybe you should read them before you yell at me. And then he opens them up. And of course, from all the swinging and the running around, they're just completely smushed to high hell. And they just say, I'm not proud and broken letters. (laughs) Uh, Again, like they really play between these these, these moments Mm -hmm. of comedic brevity and, and the seriousness of the moments going straight from fighting a bad guy to going all the way back down to regular uh, life um, and how it's completely disaster. He's not used to switching between these two worlds and it keeps coming up two worlds, two worlds, two worlds and the parallels between them. Uh, Gwen's dad making captain, his dad making captain. This movie is just incredibly tight. I love it. His mom and dad chew him out as Miles tries to walk away, eventually getting cornered and asked by his parents who he's been running around with. And he names the spider people from the previous film, but sadly they've all left town. And Miles eventually says that it's his life. Um, you know, it. he does the whole like, it's my life routine that you get a lot in these teen movies of like, I have to be my own person, yeah. uh, which his mom shuts down pretty quickly. And due to his attitude, he is promptly grounded. Um, as his dad yells. <laughs> he's so excited to say it. He's so, he just wanted to say it. Uh, his dad yells at him and tells him what's, you know, like, he's like, you got to tell us what's going on. And the party gets quiet as their fight gets loud and Miles hesitates, uh, almost as though he's going to tell them his secret that he is Spider-Man uh, before shrugging it off and walking away. Miles goes to his room and as he flips through his sketchbook of Gwen's, he grabs his headphones and lays in bed to chill. As he does, the room begins to shake and stuff starts to float around him, although he doesn't notice because he is lost in his musical world. Um, until a portal opens directly over him and Gwen jumps out through it. The real one, not from his sketchbook. Uh, this was the uh, this was the sequence that they left the last yeah. movie off of. Um, uh, great, great tie to continuity. <laughs> yeah, so good. Very thoughtfully put together. Um, she gives him a big old hug and they catch up and she, um, this made me furious. She immediately starts going through his stuff. She opens a collectible figurine and then she the biggest most egregious thing is she opens his sketchbook and starts flipping through it, which anyone who has ever kept a sketchbook of any kind knows that, that is like the greatest faux pas of all time. I have to give you a sketchbook to to flip through. I'm like, you can look through this one and only mm-hmm. these kinds of pages. You don't just pick it up and start going through my cell. It's like she literally broke multiverse boundaries <laughs> and then she started breaking personal mm-hmm. boundaries. Like, come, come. When, down, my dude. Uh, Miles is like, what are you doing here? And she asks him to get out of there with her before they both slip out of the window. Um, after they've left, Miles' parents go to his room to talk to him, but he's gone. <laughs> he ain't there. No. He cannot get in any less trouble at this point. Um, Miles and Gwen are swinging and talking, uh, periodically doing moves like threading the needle while Gwen is filling him in about spider society and Jess Drew, her new mentor, and all the things that have been happening to her the last couple months. They practice. um, She brings him up to speed on Miguel, the uh, technically not a vampire Spider-Man. And uh, Gwen's like, I got invited a few months ago to join their organization. And Miles is like, oh, a few months ago, that's like a little bit of time. You haven't come to see me since then. Gwen explains that they're trying to keep the multiverse from collapsing and that she would have come to see him sooner, but they're strict about where she goes. Um, she also mentions her buddy Hobie at this point, and Miles is a little jealous of her good buddy. Um, <laughs> yeah. I like to call it the kid licking the subway car window, which is just, again, excellent I was scenes. just about to say, <laughs> I was just about to say, and it's just, 
it's again small moments of brevity that just take you out just for a little bit because the the tension that they're building into here um, sets up uh, some. When you revisit the scene mm-hmm. later on, um, I guess we'll have to get there. Uh, <laughs> there's this again two worlds, this sense of duplicity happening mm-hmm. here. Uh, but let's get there. Yeah. Uh, Miles asks Gwen why she's here now, and as he does, she sort of disappeared. And as he's swinging around looking for her, Gwen sneaks away to leave a little mechanical spider on the wall before rejoining him as though nothing has happened. It's a camera, and as they swing, it records the spot sneaking about. Ooh. Gwen and Miles walk the Williamsburg Bank building and talk. Uh, Gwen still hasn't talked to her dad uh, about what's happened, and Miles expresses that he's been thinking about telling his parents that he's Spider-Man, but of course, having just experienced a horrible reaction to her dad finding out, she tells him not to. Uh, and then yeah. a shot that was in a lot of the trailers does sit upside down on the building. So good. <laughs> so good. Ha, it's crazy how they had, had not done this up until this mm-hmm. point. But this, you know, Spider-Man walking yeah. up the wall with no effort, but like completely defying gravity. And there's that one shot where they're briefly on two opposite ends of uh, the, the ledge. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And it kind of plays with the like visual motif from the first movie of when Miles was rising, not uh, falling, and they flipped the city upside mm-hmm. down to take the camera with him. It's sort of the same thing here. It doesn't have quite the same like meaning behind it, but just that visual motif of the city is upside down and the spider person is kind of in it all. Uh, it's a very fun visual. Miles hangs around and they say that some things are just for them, admiring the view of the city. And uh, Gwen expresses that it's great to talk to him because how many people can you talk to about this stuff? It's like you mentioned earlier, how many people can really understand what it's like to be a spider person? Uh, And she's like, Miles is the only friend I've really had since Peter died. And she then reveals that in every other universe, Gwen Stacy falls for Spider-Man. And in every other universe, Mm -hmm. it doesn't end well. Um, yeah. And Miles posits that there's a first time for everything. And that line right there is like the whole movie. <laughs> that's yeah, kind of the whole thrust that's, of that's it. That's basically it. They're like, okay, yeah, we know all the Spider-Man tropes. We're, we're going to go through all of them or as many as we can. We're going to try to make it fun. We're going to try to make it serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when as we get to the end of the movie, but at some point, someone's going to try to break that formula. We're going to try yeah. to do something different. And specifically, um, like, Miles being the person who believes that there is a first time for everything that they don't they don't have to stick to the formula this will be something that he holds through no matter what anyone says to him throughout the whole rest of the film and he's the one who is going to change the minds of others that it's possible to have a first time for everything and i think it's incredibly Mm -hmm. good planting to say that here on something that seems so trivial in the in the grand scheme of the film to be like no 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 he's going to be incredibly in character and also probably right because he is the main protagonist (laughs) yeah but like that's what I, makes him the protagonist right he believes in the first time for somehow everything. somehow although they opened up the movie with gwen they still establish mm-hmm. uh miles as the main character but they give her they give her her entire arc. yeah like they, they the spot he doesn't hog the entirety mm-hmm. of the movie she's given um uh the attention she needs uh Absolutely. to to i guess yeah no her she doesn't feel like a side mm-hmm. character. Right? It feels like they have two movies going on. They have, again, this it keeps coming back to like two worlds. They have like two movies going on at the same time on the screen, and it's fantastic to watch. Yeah. Um, they sit and enjoy the view for a bit. Uh, back at the party, they uh, are now in their civilian ga- uh, garb and are snagging some <laughs> yeah. snacks from around the party as they stand and chat under the water tower. Miles' parents spot him and Gwen hanging on the roof chatting and immediately are like, 
No. Of course, yeah, they do the parrot <laughs> thing. thing. They do the parrot thing. It's so good. Um, Gwen's explaining to Miles how her watch works and that it keeps her from glitching in other dimensions. And Miles wonders how long it'll take for Miguel to show up and give him one. He wants to go with her to Spider Society, and Gwen is kind of like pushing back on this, saying that it's just a small elite strike force. You have to be invited. And eventually, mm. um, as it st- he starts to poke at it, snags the watch back from his hands. And uh, after an awkward moment, they recover, and a new awkward moment presents itself in the form of Miles's parents introducing themselves. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gwen immediately uh, faux pas by calling his mom by her first name, Rio, and they never quite recover from this as she uh, gives back the yeah, cardigan that's, uh, left in Miles's room. Ah, <laughs> uh, Gwen is uh, painfully white in this. It is. <laughs> it's so it's It's. If you're a person of color, from the United States, and you've had to introduce your white friends to your parents or to your other black <laughs> friends. You understand everything going on in this scene. It is fantastic. And it's great that they capture it perfectly. Another reason why I like this movie. <laughs> it's, it's, it's steeped in the culture, as it was. For sure. <laughs> Miles also introduces her as Gwanda, a friend from school, because uh, God forbid she be Gwen. Continuity. 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 He, he sticks with it. He sticks with it. And it's great. It's perfect. Um, yep. At this moment, she gets a notification on her watch and has to leave, giving Miles an awkward handshake as she exits. And uh, Miles' parents watch him look sad as Jefferson like takes the cue and leaves Rio to talk with him. His mom uh, has a very heartfelt speech about how she finds it difficult to not see Miles be her little boy all the time and that, uh, you know, he could tell her anything. And once again, he sort of hesitates considering telling mm-hmm. her that he's Spider-Man, almost about to say it, but settles on just apologizing for being late. And she tells him to go after Gwen, um, saying that she seems like a nice girl. And uh, Miles is like taken aback, like, is this a trick? Like, are you? I'm grounded, aren't I? And uh, Rio just adjusts his coat and reassures him that what she worries about the most is that the world won't look out for him like she will and mm-hmm. makes a deal that wherever he goes from here, he has to take care of her little boy and make sure that he knows he's loved and that no one can tell him he doesn't belong and that when he comes home, he's early holding a nice cake. He promises to heed all of this and heads on out after Gwen. Also, when he comes back, he's still grounded. <laughs> yeah. I This movie does a really good job at um, presenting a very healthy, mm-hmm. you know, uh, family dynamic. Uh, although they, they do establish that there is tension um, between, you know, one, him being Spider-Man and him being a kid. And then on top of that, having to deal with his parents. But he's got both. He's still, he still has both. Yeah. You know, uh, and he's got a good relationship with them. And they're like, we're not, this is not that kind of Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's he's given a different kind of challenge. Uh, and it, it allows for him to make that decision on his own rather than uh, having the pressure of uh, living up to everybody's expectations. And that, that sets up for a, a lot of things later on. Yeah. It, it's great. His parents are trying to raise a kid not knowing that they have Spider-Man. And so that creates conflict inherently in their relationship. But they're not doing anything cruel or wrong. They are just loving parents. And Miles is just trying to be a son that they can be proud of. And that inherently creates conflict when, like we've talked about, you're doing the whole double life situation. The music kicks up as Miles changes into his spider suit as he descends the fire escape, uh, finally pulling off the pants at the very bottom where someone is waiting to click a smartphone photo, a gag that movies love to do with the camera flash these days. So good. So good. Um, and then there's a little, um, uh, not alliteration, there's the, uh, they, they have the text yes. also. Uh, 
zip, which hasn't, they did a lot of that more in the first mm-hmm. movie. And it occasionally, it only really comes up, I guess, in the Miles yeah. scenes to there's make that good, his uh, visual game. Like, they tend to do it mostly for comedic effect in this one, but there's definitely a, a few instances yeah. where they use it very effectively. I would say it pops up the most in the chase sequence in Spider Society, which, of course, we'll get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also has the most Spider-Men per capita in it. And so statistically, some of them are bound to be from a comic book looking universe. Yeah. Miles follows Gwen as she swings away, picking up her camera as she heads to the scene where the spot was. Uh, Miles goes invisible, as he can do, and follows her into the wrecked lab where she scans the place, the scanner detecting dark matter, and we also get to see a photo of Dr. Jonathan Ohm, the spot, as he's now known, with uh, Doc Ock from the previous flick. Um, Also in a case is a Spider-42, the spider that bit Miles. Um, And as we see all of this... uh, Americana is the wrong word, but like spoticana, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ephemera yeah, yeah. of the spot. Um, Gwen's uh, hologram starts a replay of what happened here. And we see the spot using his lab to generate a little more dark matter so we can get some spots, just enough to get him somewhere with a full-sized collider. Um, and throughout the scene, as Spot's plan becomes more ominous and more overt, uh, Gwen and Miles both whisper shoot to each other at various points um, or to themselves, uh, not knowing that the other is mm-hmm. there. And they watch as the spot sends himself somewhere else, another dimension. Um, Gwen is freaking out uh, when she gets a call from Jess and she tries to play it off. But uh, Jess immediately kind of is onto the game and presses her to figure out like what the spot's up to and shows Gwen that the spot is jumping dimensions. Um, Jess is like, did you go see Miles like you said you weren't going to do? And Gwen admits that maybe they uh, were in proximity and that she will never see him again. Lila pulls them back to the villain of the week who is jumping from dimension to dimension and they realize that he is capable of making his own portals and that he's looking at all of the alchemaxes. Everywhere he's going has an alchemax. Miles realizes the spot is making himself more powerful in order to beat him as Gwen begs Jess not to tell Miguel or else he'll kick her out and she is desperate not to get sent back to her home dimension. Um, I wonder wonder why. why. Uh, Lila finally locks onto the spot in Earth uh, 5101 And Jess considers for a moment before sending Gwen there, uh, giving her an hour to fix this situation or Jess can no longer help her. Gwen goes to head through the portal, looking upset, staring into Miles' New York one more time, whispering goodbye to him and uh, walking through the portal. And Miles, who is invisible in the room, hesitates himself for a moment before also following her through the portal uh, right before it closes. I would say this is like, the end of the first act yeah. you know it's 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 a fairly long first act um compared to the rest of the movie um the intro fantastic with gwen mm-hmm. and then there's this extended first act uh to set up a lot of the pieces going into the rest of the movie um and uh that pensive goodbye that spider-man gives um going to this portal not knowing where it's leading um is this transition now from uh, the first and the second act and boy is it a transition oh yeah you complete like the settings and the characters that were meeting you meet more people like they, they keep throwing new people at you um and it feels completely different from uh the first two sort of big set pieces um and i remember being in the theater i'm just like okay great now we're cooking we're still going yeah. this is this is fantastic I, i'm still here um so yeah, no, that's 
we'll, we'll meet. We're meeting an amazing Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. This, this is great. This is great. Um, yeah. Miles jumps through the portal into a crazy digital stream before emerging in a different dimension, glitching a bit as he falls through the city of Mumbatton, where in Earth 5101, uh, he eventually spots Gwen in the spot and tries to give chase. And uh, as Gwen is distracted by Miles' sudden appearance, she gets punched by the spot and begins to fall and uh, he catches her, but they argue about him following her through the portal. And as they are both falling through the city of Mumbatton, they are grabbed by another wonderful theme entering. It's Spider-Man, a.k.a. Paviter Prabakar. <laughs> My ability to speak has diminished just as we are about to meet to like 30,000 new people. <laughs> yeah, no, this this is they this this gets insane. The, this set piece does two things. One, um, with the spot embracing who he mm-hmm. is. He easily fends off three spider people. Yes, like he his growth in this movie is exponential. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike some of the other slower uh, to figure out who they are kind of people here, um, and uh, the energy that uh, this I cannot pronounce the name. Don't ask me to pronounce the name. He's called Pav for um, most of the movie, so that's what I'm going to go. With. Yeah. So the energy that Pav brings to. Um, the, the spider people, especially in contrast to like Miguel, lighthearted, fun, mm-hmm. um, just just happy to be here, uh, is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, he immediately correctly reads the situation between Gwen and Miles and then jumps into his introduction, a familiar comic book page flipping uh, intro that we've heard a thousand times. Um, same story as all the other spider people, notably with Spider-Man being an easy role for him to have stepped into in the last six months. Um he does take a moment to yell at Miles for referring to chai as chai tea, as chai means tea, so you wouldn't call it, you know, yeah. coffee, coffee, milk, milk. Uh, he has a girlfriend, Gayatri, who is the daughter of Police Inspector Singh. He gives us a little tour of Mumbatton, a lot of traffic, uh, and they get into back into the fight with the Spot, who is excited to finally be one-upping Miles. Miles is trying to talk the Spot down, but the Spot is just trying to get more holes at all possible costs and they chase him to the alchemix labs where there is a collider under construction along the way pav does have a clip about wondering if miles knows hobie and uh miles is like who's this hobie guy and it looks like he did not know spot easily makes his way into the collider and closes the barrier behind him keeping the spiders away as he goes to activate the collider sequence spot is going to collider himself to get more spots ah um this is the point in the movie where the spot is going to become a terrifying villain and genuinely scary. <laughs> this gets so good. Um, the other thing is, okay, so no, we'll, we'll get to Hobie's introduction because we'll bust through Hobie it in first, the exact second. It's my next and note. Then, <laughs> and then Eldritch Horror spot. Yeah. Um, fantastic. We're, we're getting there. Uh, Miles realizes he may be able to use his venom to shock the barrier, a little trick he's been working on, and he sticks his fingertips into it, but it's taking too long for him to absorb the energy and shock it back. And all of a sudden, a punk rock theme kicks up and Hobie breaks the barrier, um, smashing it with his foot. (laughs) They don't understand how dangerous it is to introduce Hobie, um, this this anarchist uh, (laughs) Spider-Man. Obviously, breakout star in the Mm -hmm. movie, charisma through the freaking roof. Um, But uh, this idea of um, Miles trying to do the thing, uh, his, his own thing, and um, trying to break the mold of all these, we're, we're gonna get, we're meeting a bunch of Spider-Man. Spider-Man, but he's yeah. he's gotta be the one to do the one thing um, that they, they all can't or mm-hmm. haven't, haven't done. Um, and the, even with Hobie, they're like, yeah, Hobie uh, is 
sees that very early yeah. on. Oh, this is going to be the kid to do it. And he's, he does uh, his best to set him up. Um, and I, okay, I'm going to stop myself. There's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's, there's been this, since seeing the movie for the first time, there's been this ongoing conversation in my head uh, between like the ideology that Hobie represents mm-hmm. um, and how, despite this being a kid's movie, um, having him and the comics he comes in as a uh, significant uh, not set piece of uh, factor mm-hmm. into Miles's growth. Uh, what that means for uh, understanding who Spider Man is, this idea of living between two worlds, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I digress. Let's keep. Going. Yeah, uh, they, and they set up really well. Something I like that they do with Hobie's character that I appreciated a lot on a second watch is he is, like you said, very supportive of Miles and will be the one to sort of recognize him as, for lack of better terms, the protagonist. Uh, even even in this early scene, yeah. he suggests that he use his full palms, not just his fingertips, when he's doing his Venom thing. We'll see that come back up later. Uh, when you rewatch this movie, you get a lot of clues into, or you get to see very clearly like, oh, Hobie has always been on Miles' side first and then kind of Spider Society second. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's a turn in the movie where that becomes a very, very obvious. Uh, but you, they do a really good job of seeding how he may have been helping all along. Um, but Hobie happily greets Pop, Pav and Gwen. They've apparently all known each other quite well for some time and they swing into that- action. <laughs> The two, Pav and Hobie, just clowning around. Yeah, in fact, Fantastic. Uh, Hobie does his comic intro. He's spider punk. His world looks like like mm-hmm. a zine, and it's all very cool and British, and he's very anarchist, and that's kind of all you really need to know. <laughs> when they when he pulls off his mask, it's redacted yeah. uh, for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. Uh, Gwen has left many items at Hobie's, including a toothbrush and uh, stealing his converse. And after some quipping... Um, the other spider people are sort of out of the loop as Spot and Miles are the only two facing down and Miles tries to web the Spot to stop him from going into the collider but Spot uses one of his spots to cut the web and uh, allows himself to enter and the collider goes boom and uh, this is where Spot becomes an Eldritch Horror as Miles sees in the Spot color palette and style a vision of um, the Spot collapsing a building and kind of inter... Inter- occasionally his dad sometimes inspectors sing uh cutting between the two of them rushing to save a child from the falling rubble uh everything is going collapsing around him and uh as he gets up from the ground he sees the spot in the real world um not color inverted or color inverted now uh black with white spots and the spot says that what you've just seen is the future and i'm going to take everything from you just like you took everything from me uh, he has been upgraded from villain of the week to existential threat for sure. <laughs> and what's crazy, we, we have to get mm-hmm. there, but like this, he, they don't resolve who like the spot arc mm-hmm. in this movie. They, they, they set it up for the third movie. And like, as you continue to watch the movie, you get closer and closer to the end where you're like, where's the spot? Where's the spot? Where's the spot? And then you get to the point where it's just like, Oh shoot, there's going to be a third movie. Isn't there? Um, but yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Um, Gwen and the others help Miles up and they rush from the building as it crumbles around them the Alchemist lab is a big uh, overhang over a, a large like canyon part of Mumbatton so it immediately starts to crumble and fall and without missing a beat Miles directs the other spiders as they jump into action ordering the others to clear a path as he and Pav are ordering the others to hold up the building and get the rubble out of the way as he and Pav clear the path and rescue civilians um Gwen and Hobie struggle to hold the rubble together, but eventually their webs give out and all of them rush to it, saving civilians as fast as they can as the rubble starts heading for the Brooklyn Bridge of Mumbatton, uh, it looked like, um, where a 
bus containing his girlfriend is about to fall over a ledge. So Pav grabs it with his web and struggles to hold it. Uh, just then, uh, Lila calls Gwen, telling her that there is an upcoming canon event and to tread carefully. Gwen says that she's on it. Um, they then notice a little girl crying on the bridge and Inspector Singh rushes to grab her. Uh, Pav sees this as he's holding the bus, trying to save both his girlfriend and uh, her father, but he can't save both. And Miles sees this as well and tell decides that he's going to go get the inspector and the little girl. Gwen tries to stop him, but he reassures her that he can do it just to do the same, you know, moves they had practiced swinging around earlier and breaks away. Mm -hmm. And he threads the needle and rings the bell. Uh, Gwen and Hobie watch as Pav gets the bus back up and Miles and the kid and the inspector uh, emerge from the rubble unscathed. Everyone was saved, which seems like it should be cause for celebration. Uh, though Gwen does get an alert that a canon event has been disrupted on her little wristwatch. This is one of those sequences where, like, uh, where it starts to break um, the, I guess, the routine that is Spider-Man, right? Normally, it's like, okay, canon event, if, if you're at all um, versed in, in literature, you're like, okay, yeah, this is supposed to happen. This is, uh, this is, this is, uh, this is Pav's moment where, where he breaks as Spider-Man, mm -hmm. where he understands the yeah. reality that he's always going to be picking between two worlds um, and he's not going to be able to do it. But this time, someone's here that that's, that's not supposed to be here. Uh, so, uh, yeah. and the movie now is just going to continue to push on that point. Mm -hmm. uh, Miles is thanked by Pav and Hobie and the spiders are celebrated with applause by the citizens. Gwen is also a little impressed by her friend. Um, but as they celebrate, the spot theme picks up and a giant hole begins to appear in Mumbatton. Uh, as it does, a big robot full of other spider people, including Jess, appear and start to contain the aberration. Uh, Gwen tries to explain, but Jess just coolly commands that they all go back to HQ, including Miles, which Gwen is very nervous about. But Miles is immediately like, woohoo, which I thought was great uh, tone setting on their way to Spider. Uh, Spider HQ, Hobie does take off his mask, and Miles is like, how are you that cool? He's like, I was this cool the whole time, uh, which is yep. a great line, and also just, like, true of him. When you rewatch it, you're like, oh, yeah, no, he was, like, on Miles' side. Yeah. Like, he was the cool, like, older brother the whole time. Yep. <laughs> um, Miles marvels at the futuristic city that their HQ is in. It's Nueva York, Earth 928. Miles walks through the doors of the into a facility that is full of near infinite spider people. It is spider society. Oh god, this is the part where we're summarizing this. I'm like, there is not a chance in hell I can name drop every single spider person that shows I, up in the sequence. I, I am a huge fan of Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. However, there's a very limited amount of Spider-Man comics that I've actually um read. Mm -hmm. Um I and I'm aware of a significant amount. But going into this sequence, I'm just like, oh, I'll be able to at least catch at least, you know, 10, 15 of them. And then, again, this first time going to this movie, but then being overwhelmed, I'm just like, oh, shoot. No, this is the – they're not showing maybe like 100, 200. No, they, they just keep going. There's just so many Spider-Men. And shout out to Chris Anka, who was one of the um, character designers for this movie. And that man must have designed at least 50, <laughs> 75 different Spider-Men oh, yeah. just going into the movie. Um, like unique ones, and of course there are there are background ones that are that are repeats. But for the most part, they they do their best to say, "Hey, look, here's a, here's a million different Spider-Man," 
and you're like, okay, yeah, all right, I see what's happening. Really get here. the sense of the multiverse. Um, yep. Miles is starting to realize Gwen might not have told him everything about their small elite strikes team. Uh, a point Hobie puts an either just, another just, just finer point on top of by asking how much Miles knows about his place in all this. Uh, just then, mm-hmm. Miles glitches. He is not in his home dimension after all, and just gives him a day pass to keep him from glitching any further. Uh, they pass uh, Ben Parker, who is in anguish. He's a clone of Peter Parker. He's animated in a very special style, yep. and Andy Samberg voiced him, which was funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we see Web Slinger and his horse, who also has a mask to keep its identity a secret. Um, and they pass through a room of laser cages full of anomalies waiting to be sent home, including the Prowler, though this one is just Childish Gambino. <laughs> yep. Uh, I I don't know what they're doing with that. I hope it's just a one-off mm-hmm. um, because there's... With the current, you know, um, Tom Holland Spider-Man saga that they got going on, and the way their contracts are working out is just like, this is too much hype to be setting up in this one movie uh, for them to be like, oh, yeah, in the future, you're going to get um, uh, Donald Glover uh, Prowler. Just mm-hmm. like, this is definitely a one-off because otherwise, they, there's no way they can actually fulfill that hype, that that, that sort of promise with the curtain mess yeah. that the MCU is in right now. Um, and uh, yeah, it doesn't look like it's actually going to happen. So I'm just like, okay, this is fine. This is a one-off thing. None of these are actual spoilers. Or uh, they're they're not um, uh, and what's uh what's the word that I'm looking for? They're not setting things yeah. up with. This, I think this you know, movie so handles like cameos and Easter eggs really well, which is you know was inevitably going to be a problem they ran into doing a multiverse story with a character as beloved and as widespread as Spider Man. Uh, but I think they do a really good job of never having a cameo or Easter egg be so integral to the plot that you are forced to look at it and right. think about it like. Yes, we do look at Childish Gambino and be like, oh my God, the Prowler. Uh, but it is kind of yep. just that, the moment it moves on. Um, similar mm-hmm. things, we'll see some footage from the Tobey Maguire and the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Yeah. And it's like, okay, great. This is just playing into the scene that is already happening. And it is functioning as an mm-hmm. Easter egg and not an integral plot point. Uh, and I think that that's mm-hmm. the perfect use of that kind of material because it lets all of the yeah. focus be on the story that this movie is trying to tell. Uh, Miles bumps into Margot Kess, a.k.a. Spider Bite, and she sp- sarcastically tells him that they're all spider people uh, when he introduces himself as Spider-Man and uh, that she is, in fact, a digital avatar. Her real bar- body is chilling, eating Fritos in her dimension. She also explains the machine that they're passing by is the Go Home machine, which detects whatever dimension your DNA is from and sends you there. <laughs> it is... The sk- I I got chills yeah. looking at this thing. I'm just like, that's not a fun machine. None of the things that right? like Miguel and the Spider Society have read as yeah. like heroic devices, which is yeah, you know, will make sense very shortly. But like, mm-hmm. you do gotta get the sense very early on of like, mm, and I don't know if these are like the good guys. Yeah. Um, as they walk through, Miguel is watching them on his hologram security cameras as he broodingly does his own voiceover and does his little backstory. Um, yeah. One and only Spider-Man. He takes a shot of something in his arm, which I have not read any of the Miguel O'Hara Spider-Man 2099 comics. So I I am sure that this is a reference to a thing that he takes in the comic, but I could not tell you what it was off of the gate. No, I'm sorry. M- me neither. <laughs> like it's the, the, the 2099 um, ones were a, a lot grittier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... And I, I read spider-man jokes (laughs) they do have a lot of jokes this movie about uh other spider people will be like are you sure you're a spider-man you're not as funny as we are uh exactly which plays into that um 
he says that he's not like the others. He doesn't always like what he has to do, but he knows he has to do it. Uh, and as he's doing this voiceover, the gang enters Miguel's lab. Hobie starts pocketing some gizmos from straight off of the wall. And uh, Miles is like, are you sure you should be doing that? Um, Hobie then proceeds to like further question Miles and his motivations, asking why he wants to be a part of this so bad and suggesting that he just make his own watch if he really wants to travel dimensions. Meanwhile, Miguel is watching footage of him with his daughter in happier times as Hobie tells Miles to do his own thing. Um, but at this point, Miles just wants to be in the metaphorical band. Uh, uh, they're, they're in action. They're so There's like, the exact this, this line is, is like, don't yeah. enlist until you know what war you're fighting. And it's so yeah. well placed. <laughs> They go in to meet Miguel, who descends dramatically from his platform on the ceiling, a fact lampshaded by Gwen, who's just like, that's his thing, just let him do it. Um, yeah, so dramatic. It's so, so fucking dramatic. Uh, Gwen introduces Miguel to Miles, uh, though Miles' friendliness towards Miguel is met with nothing but anger. Uh, Miguel is pissed that Miles blew another hole in the multiverse, and Gwen tries to defend him, but Miguel just isn't having it. Um, Miles is immediately confused, but before he can get an explanation... Peter B. Parker makes his grand appearance. It's our favorite Spider-Man from the previous movie. <laughs> so good. And he's a, he's a, he's a he's dad, dad now. Which Giving just... Jake Johnson a baby was an inspired decision. And I would like to shake the it's hand so of whoever decided that it we needed Mayday Parker. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And not just a regular yeah, baby. It's a spider baby. It's a spider baby. So um, good. Peter is extremely excited to see Miles growing up. Uh, and of course, he's, Miles spots the baby Bjorn and we meet Mayday Parker, who has an adorable yep. little knitted uh, baby Spider-Man hat that she pulls down over her eyes yep. and she's got his spider stuff. And I want that hat so badly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Um, Mayday starts climbing all around, to which Peter has to retrieve her. And he goes like full dad, showing a bunch of pictures of Mayday to Miles and Gwen. Yeah, yeah. And this is to Miguel's infinite annoyance as Peter is in funny dad mood. Uh, only leaving yep. when he's got to go change I mean, his diaper. He's <laughs> usually in funny yeah, dad yeah. mode. They just they gave just him, gave him an actual baby to be in funny dad mode with. Um, <laughs> yeah. McGill begins to explain that Miles disrupted a canon event, and Miles, of course, does not know what that means. He's confused. He's like, well, I, just, I save people, which is what we do. Uh, but Miguel explains by having Lila show them a hologram so he can sort of go through the rules of the multiverse. Mm hmm. Miguel explains that the spider people are united in a web of life, uh, a spider verse, as Miles calls it, and the places where the lines converge are where canon happens, uh, where every spider's story is the same. Some of the events are good, some are bad, some are very bad, and he shows the infinite deaths of uncles Ben and or Aaron's and or whatever. Um, and the event that Miles disrupted, ASM 90, is where a police captain close to Spider-Man dies saving a kid from falling rubble during a battle with an arch nemesis. Miles looks at Gwen as the Peter in the hologram uh, weeps over Captain Stacy. Uh-oh, Gwen's dad. <laughs> um, we also see this scene from the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Uh, again, I really like how this movie handles cameos. This is a great instance of, like, we don't have to dwell on this. It is just sort of representative of what's being yeah. talked about. Um Peter B., Jess, Hobie, they've all had this event happen to them. And Miguel continues that canon events are the things that bind their lives together, uh, but those connections can be broken. And that's why anomalies like they've been collecting can be dangerous. Inspector Singh's death was supposed to be a canon event, but Miles was there. Uh, and that's why Gwen tried to stop him from interfering, um, which upsets Miles as he thought that she was trying to save him. And she tries to say like, oh, I was trying to do both, you know, save you and also yeah. keep the canon event happening. Um, 
Miguel says because Miles changed the story, Mumbatton is unraveling and they'll only be able to stop it if they're lucky. Uh, which is a point that I think myself and many other people watching the movie have had some anger with. Of like, but that was like the yeah. spots thing, right? <laughs> like, yeah. it was a big spot. Yeah. Up here. Well, I mean, this this gets this. into if you if you're following the plot mm-hmm. lines of the first two movies, you can already piece together um, some of the so sort of like the big reveal that happens at the end of this mm-hmm. movie. Um, so, but. We're slowly getting yeah. there and how like Miguel might not be his his efforts in society might not be the solution to um, what it means to be Spider-Man, yeah. like it, containing Spider-Man to just what it has been up until this point. Yeah, um, so. it's it's getting there. Um, Miles does also in movie point out like, well, isn't the Mumbatton thing the spot's fault? Uh, but Miguel insists that that is what happens when you break the canon. And he knows because he broke the canon himself. He had found a world where he was happy and had a family and when that version of himself was killed he had gone in and replaced him and he thought it would be harmless but the dimension fell apart and miguel couldn't save anyone including his daughter and he asked peter if this is right and peter b confirms it i was a little confused like was peter b there had they formed spider society at this point and that's how they knew each other and like the flashback it looks like he might be there but like you know yeah he affected then it was a little confused uh, i'm yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is they they're they're harping on the connection between um, Peter B and Miguel, and that they both had daughters, yeah. and that's sort of the reason why ultimately Peter B stands with Miguel. He under, he's like, I don't want to go through that, mm-hmm. and his motivation is protecting Mayday. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Miguel goes on that if you break enough canon, we all lose everything, and the Spider Verse crumbles around him as Miles realizes that his dad is about to make Captain. Um, everyone is silent as Miles' spider senses go crazy and he remembers the scene he saw of the spot and his future and realizes that the spot is that arch nemesis and that he's the one who kills his dad. Mm-hmm. Miles asks when it happens and Miguel tells him that it's in two days when he's sworn in and Miles demands to be sent home, but of course Miguel refuses. Um, Miles then turns to Gwen and asks about her dad. He's a captain and asks all of the other spiders if they're not going to do anything about it. He turns to Peter B asking about Uncle Ben and if he would have been okay with it if he'd known it was going to happen. And Peter B tries to justify it by saying if not for Uncle Ben, most of them wouldn't be there and they wouldn't have done all the good things that they've done. But this answer isn't good enough for Miles. He's not going to let people die just because some algorithm says it's supposed to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And Miguel tries to justify it as the choice between saving one person and saving many worlds. But Miles, of course, everyone to believe in there being a first time for everything, says that he can do both. Mm -hmm. Because Spider-Man always does both, or at the very least, Miles yeah. Morales is going to try and do both, which is, again, the thing that makes him the protagonist of this movie, as opposed to every other Spider-Person. Um, yeah. As he declares his determination to go home and save his dad, he's cut off and surrounded by Spider-People who are determined not to try both. Um, Miguel says being a Spider-Man is a sacrifice, and we see these previous Spider-People surrounding him as various Spider-People do like an intervention for him. Um Miles sadly tells Gwen that she was right. She shouldn't have come to see him. And seeing Miles' determination, Miguel traps him in one of the red web cages. Peter and Gwen try to argue on his behalf, but it's Hobie with the good advice, reminding him to use yep. the palms as he seated so early. The palms. And uh, yep. Miles does his venom trick and explodes the cage, promptly running and launching us into one of the most incredibly choreographed chase sequences. Chase, chase, Oh, it's so good. It is fantastic. They're like, okay, great. We have all these spider people. Let's let's, let's see what we, what can, we can, do. can do with this. And again, I'd yeah. like to remind everyone that this podcast is a work of summary and I will not be name dropping every single spider person that appears 
in the sequence. Nope. Uh, but McGill and all the infinite spider people chase after Miles, save for Hobie, who quits, drops his wrist watch, and walks through the portal, uh, bracelet off out of the out of the scene. There's a moment of the Spider-Man pointing meme when uh, Miguel tells him to tells the Spider Society to get it's, Spider-Man. It's not just two Spider-Man. It's 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 every Spider-Man. Every Spider-Man pointing. <laughs> it's, it's they so love that good. meme. Uh, as uh, Miles Morales. Uh, hides on the back of a Spider-Man Doc Ock hybrid now begins his flight through spider society there's T-Rex spider there's cat spider etc 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 there's so many spider people no summary could contain them all Uh, he crashes through a spider therapy session he uh, knocks the web slinger off of his horse and rides spider horse for a ways before sun spider knocks him off he runs over a Spider-Man who's practicing holding two large things together by <laughs> using his webs, and then every other Spider-Man yeah. runs, runs over him, and it collapses. Yep. And it's ah, it's chaos. It's great. Miles eventually breaks through the glass to the outside of the building, where the chase continues. Uh, Jess talks to Gwen about using her head, even though her gut says otherwise. And at this point, uh, Peter B. swings off somewhere else. Um, Miles is falling, and Gwen catches him. But seeing her, he breaks the web and continues the chase. Their trust is broken a little bit. Um, He's grabbed by a scarlet spider and breaks away into an underground part of the city. As he runs, he's uh, pulled up into the air by a mysterious web. It's Peter B. who's trying to have a heartfelt conversation with him. Uh, Peter B. tries to get Miles to hold his baby, but he keeps running away until Peter B. shouts that Miles is the reason that he had a baby, since he hoped she would turn out like Miles, a wonderful person. Miles asks why Peter didn't come to see him, that he wanted to see them and be with the other spiders so badly. And Peter explains that he had wanted to, but he couldn't. And they have a heartfelt conversation about good things happening and bad things happening. And Miles finally mm-hmm. holds Mayday uh, somewhat inadeptly. <laughs> and they kind of chill and laugh over that and bond for a moment before Peter B's watch goes off. And Lila says that they have a hit on his location uh, and betrayed by his wristwatch, despite Peter's insistences that, that was not his intention. Um, everyone is locked on and Miles has to flee once again. Yeah. This whole, again, like they, they do a really good job at switching between the brevity and serious mm-hmm. moments and, and, and none of it feels contrived. Um, but we're, we're getting to the, we're getting to the big yeah. point of uh, the, like up until this point, like the, if you're following along to this something, there's, there's this one plot detail missing um, and, and we're getting yeah. there. We don't quite know why Miguel doesn't like Miles so much. Like we, we kind of mm-hmm. have an inkling, but we don't have the whole sitch yet. Um, Miles webs up Peter B and makes his escape, jumping through some gears and continuing the chase. Peter B makes up, uh, meets up with Gwen and Jess, Jess calling him a terrible mentor until Miles webs her up. So some comeuppance for Peter B's mentoring skills there. Miles grabs mm-hmm. onto like a space train going up, but uh, Miguel grabs his bracelet, making him glitch. Uh, and they continue their fight and their chase on a train to the moon. Welcome to the future, baby. 2099. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, uh, what's uh, there's there's a word for it. There's a it's like some sort of needle or whatever. It's it's if you're a science nerd, <laughs> this is something that it goes up. theoretically can be built. Yeah, it, it, it goes, goes up. up. Um, um, yeah, it also stops the moon from escaping Earth's orbit, which it's slowly doing. Um, but uh, it's neither here nor there. Uh, Miles is holding on for dear life as Miguel claws his way up the side of the train. Uh, again, Miguel has like claws in lieu of being a sticky Spider-Man, which again he's just a little bit off of the usual Spider-Man. MO. Yeah. Um, McGill asks who Miles even thinks he is, and Miles does the whole Spider Man speech, jumping off the side of the train and making his way into the interior traffic tunnel, it seems like. Uh, Miles and Miguel wrestle on some cars, Miguel calling Miles an anomaly. 
that he's the original anomaly even and uh, yep. says that the spider that gave him his powers wasn't from his dimension. It was never supposed to bite Miles. And now there's a world out there with no Spider-Man to protect them because it bit Miles instead. Miguel pins Miles to the space train saying that this whole theory he has about how if Miles hadn't been bit, uh, his world's Peter would likely have lived. The collider wouldn't have gone off. Spot wouldn't exist. And none of this would be happening. So Miguel is like, I'm the only one holding it together because you've made this terrible mistake by being bit uh, and letting the collider explode and et cetera, et cetera. Gwen and Peter are climbing right behind, telling Miguel to lay off, that this isn't what they had talked about. And Miles realizes that this is uh, yep. why they never came to see him, that they knew yep. Miguel's feelings towards Miles and that they didn't warn him ahead of time. Well, I, I, I don't know if it's obvious that they also know that he's an anomaly. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, he's the reason why the Spider Society um, like came together. So, like, I, I, up until this point, it, everyone, every Spider person he's known has kind of been keeping yeah. this from him, not knowing how he'd react. Hell, Miguel didn't even know um, whether or not that was the, the right decision. Mm -hmm. But, like, that's all, all he knew. Um, and at this point, this is, like, the tension is, is, <laughs> is building. Uh, we're going back to the scary scary spider machine Hell yeah um, um miles then kind of gets the upper hand as he reveals that he just learned hundreds of spider people away from the clubhouse and uh uses his venom to shock miguel whose suit is made of some like digital electric situation nanobot thingy yeah um with a big spark and miles's declaration that he's gonna do his own thing because again that's what miles morales mm -hmm. does baby uh he wishes gwen goodbye goes invisible and jumps on off that train Miguel immediately gives chase, but they've kind of lost the immediate location of Miles. And back in the lab of the Go Home machine, Spider-Bite is trying different hairstyles on, which is just a little charming little sequence. Uh, yeah. When an invisible Miles enters and she notices that something is odd and starts scanning, but she can't find him uh, until she notices the Go Home machine starting up. Miles has been going around turning the machine on and having it scan him to identify his dimensional signature and send him home. Spider-Bite kind of tries to stop it along with Lila's help, but the machine is too deep in progress and they can only do the override switch uh, if they put in some who's it's and what's it's cor correctly. Mm -hmm. um, Spider-Bite scans the go-home machine and notices Miles in there. Uh, at this moment, Miguel busts in and tries to break through the go-home machine through sheer force uh, to get to Miles. And though he's able to pull it apart a bit with his claws as the other Spider-People gather and watch somewhat horrified, uh, this, this is scary. like this Miguel scary. Miguel yeah, has like you, broken up until this point, you're like this this dude's a hero. This yeah. dude, like up until this, like he's he's been scary. He's like okay, great. He's a little grizzled, maybe chip on his shoulder, but no, this this he's dude's sort of fast tracking scary. the third act breakdown of it all. Yeah, yeah. Um, Miles looks to Spider Bite as she gets the initiate restart screen and hesitates just long enough for the go home machine to activate and work, and Miles is sent home, leaving Miguel raging on the go home machine. Um, Peter B. tries to tell Miguel to chill, but M Miguel is too pissed that Miles just wouldn't listen to what he was saying. And Gwen yells at Miguel for being too hard on Miles and tells Miguel to just let her talk to him. Uh, but uh, Miguel's just going to walk away. And when Gwen asks if he knows for certain what happens when he breaks the cannon, Miguel threatens the vague, do you want to be the one to find out situation? You know, not taking kindly to having his whole theory questioned. Miguel backs her up to the go-home machine, and Gwen, too, is sent to her home dimension with no spider people defending her, including her mentor, Dress Drew. Uh, and she mm -hmm. is sent home with the final words that uh, the spider people are supposed to be the good guys. 
And the spider people do look on this with varying degrees of convinced faces, or at the very least concern, depending on whose side they might end up on eventually. Yeah. Oh man, this is it. This is that's this is the end of Act Two. Yeah. You, this is if if I were to place it anywhere, this is this goes into well, this sets up Gwen for her. She's going home, so she has to confront her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this goes into uh, this goes into setting up potentially the next movie with Miles going back. And I didn't realize this at the time, the first time I saw yeah. this movie and uh, him going back to his home dimension. Um, and I thought, oh, we're, we're just going to go back uh, and see uh, the fun, bright New York. And instead we uh, going into the, the mm-hmm. next couple of scenes, we get this grittier New York. And, uh, and I didn't realize it until I saw the the color of his hoodie. I'm just like, wait yeah. a minute, hold the fuck up. And I, I just sat again, like uh, up until this point, we're like what um, a couple of ways. We're almost at like two hours. Yeah, there were like maybe twenty right? minutes left oh. of the movie if you include credits. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm just like, how how are they still throwing <laughs> things at us? How how are they still throwing twists? Mm-hmm. How am I at the edge of my seat? And I think at some point, my my I was like, first time I was in the theater with my sister. She's like, how long is this movie? I'm just like, I have no idea. I'm just watching this for the first time with you. Hush, hush. <laughs> let's just let's just freaking get yeah. there. Um, but yeah, uh, Miguel takes Ben and Jess with him, and sort of like offhandedly tells someone to go catch Spot, which Peter B is like, "I know can do. I gotta put Mayday down for a nap." And Miguel's like, "Not you, you idiot." Um, Miles crashes onto a roof in his world, as does Gwen. Big old bunch of rainy, rainy New Yorks. They're all in. Um, Miguel, Jess, and Ben also arrive in Miles's world. Um, Peter B goes home where Mary Jane is waiting for him as they put Mayday to bed and we're going to kind of cut between the four different spider groups for a little bit Um, Mary Jane also chides Peter for taking their baby to another fight although he denies that he did so Uh, it's bad parenting (laughs) Um, Gwen is locked out of her uh, watch so she's she's out of spider society uh, and all the spiders are in their respective locations Peter B. asks his wife if he'll be any good at being a dad, and she does a whole speech about there being no playbook for raising someone like her or being someone like him, and that you got to make the right adjustments at halftime. Again, sort of playing into this idea, and the thing that kind of drives Miles throughout of that, you can change canon or you can change the path if you just make the right Mm -hmm. decisions or you make the right adjustments. Um, And as we do that, we see Miles and Gwen sort of like running along their respective cities, uh, Mm-hmm. Gwen goes home and opens her secret drum cache to find it empty and spots her dad asleep on the couch, her stuff in front of him, including the photo of her and Miles. Uh, she grabs the photo and goes to leave. But when she turns around uh, before exiting the window, she sees his reflection and uh, he looks like he's holding a gun. So she slings out and webs it. And it was a plush penguin as he went for the light switch. Uh, and he asks her to sort of hold on for a moment. Um, yeah, big emotional scene again. The watercolor comes back strong here. Um, yeah, going into this scene, um, the I think this is the only time where um, she's like in the Spider Gwen costume and her reflection shows her real mm-hmm. self. Um, and I'm just like, oh, this is this is this is about to get real. Um, this is like they, they set this up very on, yeah. on in the movie. We, we knew we were gonna get oh, this. Oh, yeah, uh, and th- this scene does not disappoint, it hits you, it hits hard. <laughs> He asks where she's been. She jokes she's been out murdering her friends. And as he walks away through the apartment, she follows. Gwen tells him that he's a good cop and he puts on that badge because if he doesn't, someone who shouldn't will. And that the mask is her badge and she's trying to be good too. She wanted to wear her mask in a way that he'd want. And she tried to be good, but she couldn't help the people she loved the most. 
and they could only know half of who she was and she's completely on her own and she doesn't know what she's supposed to do and she can't lose one more friend and she's starting to get more and more emotional and um as she says this her dad interrupts and says that he always told her to do it by the book he took an oath and uh hearing that she tells him to arrest her but he reveals that he can't because he quit halfway through the middle of her big speech and gwen realizes that this means he won't be the police captain anymore and uh, mm -hmm. that's a break in the canon as it were um yeah her dad says the only thing that matters is her she's the best thing he's ever done and we get another big old hug um yeah i love throughout yeah. this scene yeah there's a couple of moments where the background bleeds. yeah you know like it, it slowly comes down like it, they're, they're not actually crying but you can feel the the tears and the sadness mm -hmm. and, and the vulnerability um, happening between the two of them and it's fantastic there's even a shot um when she puts her wrists out and says arrest me where she's like boxed in as though she's in a comic panel but uh quite yeah. literally like trapped like this is the mode of i, I i'm contained i'm give, giving in uh and then it breaks into the wider bleeding backgrounds and it's all more free but it's just such an emotional art style and it fits perfectly for gwen's kind of arc he then uh after they reconcile gives her a gift wrapped hobie style uh left by as yeah. he describes a real piece of work uh and inside mm -hmm. is a similar to her previous one looking dimension jumping watch handmade by hobie himself from all those little parts and bits and bobs he was stealing um hell yeah she activates it and a Hobie style portal opens up and Gwen is off to save Miles. Uh, and after she leaves, her dad calls parenting a big ass mystery, which was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This movie is as much for parents as it is for kids. I think they have done an excellent job of yes. balancing that. Uh, there were some jokes where I'm like, that feels like that that's there for the dads, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, Back in Miles' universe, he's rushing home as fast as he can, all the words of others echoing in his mind, ending with Aaron telling him to keep going, as we see in the reflections of building around him, various characters saying their various lines. It's it's a hodgepodge of all of the important thematic lines throughout the entire movie. Um, it, the world seems much darker and dimmer lit than Miles' usually is, but, you know, that could just be because it's a it chaotic moment. Is, but... <laughs> Yeah. At this point, watching it the first time, I wasn't, you know, we don't know the twist yet. So it yeah. is like, oh, he's, yeah. he's like very emotional. Like it, it looks just yeah. close enough that it could be it. Um, yeah. Miguel and co. Meanwhile, are watching Miles's world among other places, but there's no big sign of him. No, been no sign of him yet. Ben Scarlet Spider is watching Miles's apartment in, uh, as he describes it, a perfect pose and notes a disturbance in the alley where the Hobie portal is as Gwen webs him up and sends him through without his watch, uh, effectively taking him off the the grind. And now Gwen is the one staking out Miles's apartment. Miles makes it into his room and uh, throws on his hoodie, which, as we noted, is a different color. Uh, yeah. And his mom opens the door. Uh, she asks if everything okay. Uh, he asks if everything is okay with her, and she assures him that it is. She also asks him what he did with his hair, which is a bit of a strange thing to say, but you know, who yeah. knows. Mm -hmm. um, this, will maybe, this will be a surprise tool that helps us later. Uh, Miles does a little speech about how he knows how strong he is and that he has to go do something because something terrible is coming for them. And she's just sort of confused. Uh, Miles tells her about Spot, his nemesis, and how he's going to stop him. And as he's doing the speech, Gwen sneaks towards the window and seems to be listening in. Um, Miles continues. Uh, he tells her that he knows she's he he knows she knows he's been lying to her, and he only did because he thought if she knew she wouldn't love him the same. Uh, and then he went out into the great big world, and now he's not afraid of anything anymore. 
and uh, his mom promises that she'll always love him. And he reveals to her that he's Spider-Man. Yep. He reveals the costume and she has no reaction. She asks, who is Spider-Man? <laughs> yeah. As Miles confusedly explains, his mom thinks it's like a Comic-Con thing. Uh, and yeah. just then... Oh, man. Gwen enters Miles's room and there's nobody there. <gasps> What's going on? Uh, just this. Uh, so good. this <laughs> the rest of this is just it, it just unravels very mm-hmm. quickly. And if you're paying attention up until this point, um, uh, again, I've seen this movie four <laughs> times now. It's just like, OK, this is the universe with no Spider-Man. It all went to mm-hmm. shit. Um, this is this is this is the this, this is the canon event that led into the first and second exactly um and uh i remember the first time in theaters just be like wait wait what how much of this movie is left where are we going with all this how how does this end um yeah i've got i love this movie uh jess watches as someone goes up the stairs to miles's parents apartment miles meanwhile is trying to get his mom to take him seriously when he glitches and he realizes that he is not in his own dimension um Gwen's spider senses go off and she realizes that Miles is in danger in a similar fashion. And Miles flashes back to the spider that gave him his powers. It wasn't from his Earth. It was from Earth 42. His DNA was scanned by the Go Home machine, but it picked up the DNA of the spider, which had merged with his home. And it didn't send him to Miles's home. It sent him to the spider's home. Uh, Mm -hmm. Miles watches as the door opens slowly and entering is his uncle Aaron. Ooh, he's alive in this universe. (laughs) Miles is freaked. We get an Earth 42 title at long last. And uh, mm-hmm. Miles gives his uncle a awkward handshake and hug. A, sort of a like, you know, whoa, what's going on here, buddy? And uh, his uncle also comments on his different hairstyle, asking if he took his braids out. Yeah. Um, this is when we get like the Earth 42 art yeah. style. Um, like it, it up until this point, it's been like in a weird transition, but it goes into the like the, the, the violet purples and greens mm-hmm. um, and, and the dark blacks. And it's just like, OK, yeah, yeah right. They, they all full mask off, full mask off. We're, we're in a completely different New York. All the emotion is gone. We're seeing reality. Exactly. As uh, the art direction for this. So oh, good. Oh, my God. Um, his uncle gives his mom some money in the background after she says she'll pay him back. But he's like, not a novel family after all. So we can see that their situation is not quite as solid in this one as it is in Miles's Earth. And uh, back on Miles's Earth, um, his dad comes home and asks after Miles when Rio reveals that she may have ungrounded their son a little. Um, Miles and Aaron, meanwhile, uh, roll out the door and Aaron asks about a security window and sort of like questions him a little bit about a plan they've got going on, leading him to the roof as he glitches. Um Miles tries to play it cool, uh, but when he gets to the roof and gets a glimpse of the world he's in, a world in chaos and disarray without a Spider-Man, he also spots a mural, much like the one he painted of his Uncle Aaron, but this time of his dad, who is deceased in this universe. As he stares horrified, a mysterious Preller-like figure comes out of nowhere and knocks Miles out. God, I... Everything about this ending sequence, yeah. just it, it, it. It's happening. Rapidly. Normally, you get to an end of a movie. Yeah, normally you get to an end of a movie. I'm just like, okay, great. This is all wrapping up. This is fantastic. This is great. Um, and uh, I, I wholeheartedly <laughs> enjoy this movie. Like Marvel third acts are mostly notorious mo- big sky uh, beams actually, and big monster show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just to give you that resolution. Okay, great. Kind of the, a lot of the emotional beats are mm-hmm. done. Um, we're wrapping this up. Here's a fun little set piece. Whatever. 
not this movie. This movie is like, nope, we are not done. We're still throwing hooks. Good luck. Uh, Gwen, meanwhile, is listening in from his room as Miles's parents argue about the grounding of Miles, including the issue of Gwen. Uh, and Miles's dad is blaming himself for his kid wanting to grow up. And his parents decide that they got to let uh, Miles spread his wings. And his dad does the very, like, the thing that Spider-Man had said to him earlier when Miles was talking to his dad in, in costume, where he's like, mm-hmm. you got to let your son spread his wings. And he does a little arms out motion. And Jefferson does the same thing here. So clearly they have a better relationship than uh, Captain Stacy and Gwen necessarily did prior to the previous scene. Um, just then Gwen opens the door for Miles' room and says that it's her fault Miles is in trouble, which again is such an out-of-pocket thing to do. <laughs> yeah, it's just... Uh... You broke into their home, and now you're gonna to talk to them. You give them a lot of vague um, information. I, I I don't know why she thought this no. was a good idea. It's fine. Uh, Jefferson is. They're only gonna worry under- more. They're only yeah, gonna worry. He's like more. understandably annoyed to see Gwen, but she reveals that her dad is a cop too, and that gets him to like chill a little bit. And yeah. they ask where Miles is, and she's like, "I don't actually know, but I'm gonna go find him." And I don't know where he is, but I I think I know where to start, and that uh, Miles taught her everything is possible, and that he loves them more than they could ever imagine. And Rio tells her to tell Miles that he's grounded for five months now and also that they love him a lot. Um, That's fair enough. Um, boom, boom, yeah. I, I can live with that. That's a very parental... I, I get that. You know, yeah. that, that, that's a reasonable response to your kid disappearing. Um, Jess listens into this and watches as Gwen uses her portal to leave, uh, not giving her up immediately, but clearly she's on the trail a little bit. Um, and we then hmm. go to Miles coming into... Coming to in what was his Uncle Aaron's apartment in his universe, he's chained to a punching bag, uh, as we saw in the previous movie. Um, Miles tries to explain that he's not from here and that he's here by mistake, but Aaron just spins him around and puts on smooth music. And Miles continues to try and get him to hear him out and tells him the story of the spider bite that turned him into Spider-Man and that he doesn't belong here. He needs to go home and how in his uh, world... Uncle Aaron was a bad guy named the Prowler, but, uh, you know, he he wanted to be good and, uh, you know, he thinks he could still be a good guy. And uh, as Miles is saying that his uncle looked out for him, uh, Aaron laughs and punches the back of the bag, narrowly missing Miles before getting uh, in his face and telling him that he's not the Prowler. Um, just then, the real Prowler drops into the room, much smaller, different suit. Uh, he walks up to Miles and asks Miles if his dad is still alive, to which Miles says, yeah. And then in an incredible reveal, uh, the Prowler takes off his mask and it is Miles with braids. (laughs) And he introduces himself as Miles Morales, the Prowler. Uh, Again, in this scene, color tells everything. Every time it's uh, focusing on uh, Miles, blue and and red, classic Spider-Man colors. When it pans over to, to Aaron and the Prowler, the purples and the greens mm-hmm. come out. And two Incredible. worlds colliding once again. I oh, got it. I love this movie yeah. so much. Uh, um, this art style, too, you got to hand it to oh, them. Yeah. Their, their ability to consistently switch between art styles that establish different identities and still keep it visually cohesive. Um, it is a lot, and sometimes it's a bit of a mess, but for the most part, you're, you're never going to... No scene is extremely jarring. Yeah, I think this falls so. into... I mean, I'm noted fan of the 2008 Speed Racer, which is a very visually loud movie. <laughs> I think that there was a certain I was like, to- <laughs> how are we going to bring up Speed Racer uh, during easily. this? And uh, <laughs> here we are. I think that there was... There was I've had this for years. There's an art to doing a visually loud movie well. Yes. And I think Spider-Verse is another great... Like, along with like Speed Racer, is a great example of how you can thoughtfully yes. use a bright saturated color palette 
and a very distinct visual style purposefully to mm -hmm. create a vibe that while it might be a lot at times is still cohesive enough to be fun to look at or to be engrossing to look at. Um, and I think they do a yeah. great job of balancing that here where like they're very thoughtful with color palette, especially uh, and with the different styles that they're blending, they carefully use like animation techniques, specifically like varying frame rates for different styles and things to help yeah. everything sort of fit. Uh, even if it is at odds with each other to be distinct enough that you can always kind of tell where you're supposed to be looking and what is the key thing in any given scene. The, Miles, who we know, is chained up to the bag and tells the Prowler Miles that if he doesn't get home to their their dad is going to die, and the Prowler corrects him to his dad. Uh, Miles yeah. begs to be let go, but Prowl Prowler Miles just lines up a punch instead on the bag. The music swells, the spot arrives on Miles' earth. Gwen has collected the other spider people, including Peter B. and Mayday, Pav, Hobie, Spiderbite, and all the crew from the previous film. Uh, I want that little spider hat so bad. <laughs> and um, Gwen narrates. Somebody must have made it. It's it it exist, has to be right? on I'm some sure sort I can, of like, Etsy shop, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Gwen narrates kind of to close the film that she never found the right band to join. So she started her own and that they're off to save Miles. Uh, meanwhile, Miles is prepping his venom attack as he faces down himself from Earth 42. And the final line of the film, Gwen looks to the audience and says, do you want in and to be continued pops up and we go to a very cool credit sequence uh followed by yes. a miles morales will return in beyond the spider-verse and no end credit scene uh i was pretty okay with that <laughs> yeah no that's fine we, we've done enough yeah. of it um but whew. this was a fairly long movie um but every single minute of it worth oh, it yeah. like they they you can tell it was a labor of love, which we've said, it cohesively tied. The main arc, the thing that actually sandwiches this movie is yes, Gwen. exactly. You know, we start with Gwen, we end with Gwen. Her arc, um, although you can put uh, Miles Morales as the pr protagonist, you can say that mm -hmm. you know, Gwen is the one who, she's the she's the line. She's the actual, actually, uh, what's the, she's the yeah. throughput. This was a thing I thought about a lot can... after walking out of the theater because I somewhat famously don't like two-part movies. I think that they're kind of a weakness of the <laughs> format. If you're not making... It's, it's difference between a movie and its sequel for a part one, part two. It's a right. continuation of the story in a way that's very direct and often unneeded. But I really mm -hmm. liked this movie even knowing that it was a part one of a two-part situation. And I was trying to mm -hmm. you know figure out sitting down with myself afterwards why do i feel like this held together so well and stood on its own so well even though i know like externally that this is a part one and it ends on such a like open-ended note uh and i think that that's and i'm not the first person to say this but absolutely the, the gwen through line is such a solid arc yeah. and it is such it bookends the movie so perfectly in addition to being paced well throughout that even though gwen is not for like she's not your protagonist. She's a deuteragonist in the way that a lot of the right. spider people are in this movie, just by virtue of how many of them there are. Uh, her arc is so clear, is so present throughout and so deeply tied to the events of this specific film uh, and these events yes. within the spider society uh, that it holds the movie together enough for it to stand on its own because, you know, they leave the huge stuff dangling like spot and Miguel are huge yeah. antagonists to villains, depending on where they fall. They've got their, their actions are going to have massive implications for the next film. Uh, but it's okay that we don't necessarily address them because we've gotten from them what we need for Gwen's narrative arc to have been paced throughout. She needed to see Miguel break a little bit. She didn't need to see him go punch miles, you know, like she just needed right. in yeah. order for her arc to be complete. 
to see that break within spider society. And so this movie does an incredible job of using her arc to like hold itself together, which is why I think it succeeds where so many other part one, part twos don't. I have to, oh, I have to find this in my notebook. Um, there's this interesting quote um, that I found um, about uh, so the role that anarchism sort of plays <laughs> in um, this uh well, the way, the way the that idea that political ideology plays into its relationship to more um, uh, conservative or more middle um, policy um, uh, political uh, policies, um, in that it it understands that, uh, and, and this is personified in mm-hmm. hope. It understands that it is an extremity, and it's not something that can easily be achieved. But the fact that there's someone willing to push. Um, towards that um, to, in order to break the mold is kind of what Hobie does, right? He's like, okay, great. I, uh, anarchist, I don't believe in a society and yet I'm part of this spider society, but I'm actively and patiently waiting for an opportunity um, to give someone who will challenge uh, that society the opportunity to do so. And when um, Miles finally shows up to the scene, he's like, okay, great. The last piece is here. And he in the background sets up Gwen to finish her arc, sets up uh, Miles to confront the 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 open the question that has been, you know, in the back of the audience's mm-hmm. head going to this movie. It's like, why isn't everybody telling Miles things? Um, and it leads to, once again, this idea of just like two worlds existing uh, and communicating with each other um, and having Gwen be the i guess the buns to this spider-man <laughs> sandwich um sets this up by introducing this concept of time mm-hmm. right so we have the first arc where like okay great at some point gwen's going to have to go home they ask you to just sit on that you're like okay she's gonna go home eventually Someday. all right here's here's the meat here, here's the meat here's the lettuce here's the tomato put whatever sauce you want on this mm-hmm. sandwich and then, we'll, and then you'll get to the other end at some point and you get so engrossed with some of this stuff and just like, oh, this is such a great sandwich. Um, and then you, we get to the other end and um, Hobie's patience is sort of personified in this this meat um, is, is how I like to see it. And I can put on, I should have a more cohesive rant about this and I might do this on stream later. But um, everything about this sandwich has a lot of layers to it that when you get to the end, you're like, okay, great. When's the next meal? Because apparently we've got to wait another four or five years for the next movie. And I'm just like, I, I'm i just going to keep watching yeah. this one. Man. I'm just going to keep <laughs> watching the, the first two. Um, every, it's it's a shame that uh, uh, this was pro- probably fairly recent where uh, I learned that uh, the, the crunch mm-hmm. that exists in the animation. And some people felt like the ending was a little cobbled together. Like they had an original ending planned, but they scrapped it. And they put a, a lot of the animators on crunch time in order to put the uh this Gwen sequence together and I'm just like I agree that uh the Gwen sequence is better than whatever they had planned I feel whatever they had planned whatever else they would have had planned wouldn't have been as cohesive Mm -hmm. but it's also unfortunate that um the the industry puts a lot of stress on people who make um these movies and and I felt like if we're going to talk about the movie that if there's one big flaw that exists in the movie, it's not in the actual plot, but in, in sort of the, the infrastructure yeah. that it gets to the some, one of the problems I have with part one, part two is that sometimes you do have to wait a long time for the part two, and it's easy to lose interest in a yeah. story when you have you know years between them. But also that comes with the caveat of in this case specifically, like with such detailed animation, yeah. you need time to put 
uh, towards making a movie like that and also treat everyone working on it fairly and humanely. So yeah. I, you know, I don't want to see anyone coming in any comment section complaining that part th- two is not coming for four or five years because yeah. that just means they're taking the time that they need to make that it they need to. Exactly. in a way that is healthy for the crew and also uh, creates the best possible end product because you get the most time and art and dedication put onto it. So yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Like that was a note I wanted to make as well. Like the one problem with this movie isn't really a problem with this movie so much as it is yeah. the state of the industry at large. But uh, yeah, I mean, we kind of jumped right into final thoughts. I think both of us would recommend this movie, so I won't yeah. bore you with the details. I, it's a fantastic movie. If you have not seen this movie, go out and watch it. If you are an artist, mm-hmm. you're a creative, or you're a creative, or, or, or you're around people like that, this is definitely a movie that they've seen yeah. and you should see. Um, and there's a lot, there's lots of conversations to be had. I, I didn't, if I. There's a lot more to say about yeah. this movie, um, and this is already what we're at, like, <laughs> we're two not hours, as long as the movie we were <laughs> <laughs> um, But I want to thank you oh. uh, for having me again back on Movie Struck. Uh, I will be back for the third one. If and you have of time course, for me. I'll see you um, in four to five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, not really. We do rolling with uh, well, other too, things. So, well, like, well, 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 well. Let's get into this now that we've entered the end game of this podcast here. Yeah. Uh, Wally, if our listeners want to hear more from you, where can they find you? <laughs> I am. I also work with Sophia on Rolling with Difficulty, our actual play podcast, where we play D and together D and D together with three other people. It's fantastic. It's a who season five is coming out real soon. Um, I'm really excited for that. We're really excited for that, and I hope um, uh, you guys can join us there. Uh, other than that, I uh, I also stream um, regularly, at least twice a week, on my Twitch Wally in Space, where I go on uh, art rants and I draw stuff. Uh, Eldritch horrors. Yes. Uh, I talk about world building. I talk about D&D. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, if you want to prompt Wally to talk more about Across the Spider-Verse, uh, that's probably a good place to do it. Uh, but <laughs> in the meantime, uh, thank you so much for joining me again. We'll be at, back at this in four to five years. Uh, <laughs> uh, for now, um, there has been an anomaly reported in the greater Philadelphia area, so I am off to answer the call, as it were. Uh, we'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, yeah, just keep on web-slinging and listening. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on December 4th with another thrilling installment, but if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the podcast before then, feel free to email us at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform, and if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron for even more exclusive benefits like additional Discord server channels and monthly patron-selected film reviews. I'd also like to give a special thank you to the patrons who joined us last month. It's because of you guys and everyone over on Patreon that I'm able to keep the lights on and keep this show rolling. So a special thank you to Rash uh, for supporting the podcast. And um, we will catch you guys all on the next episode.